I'm Lee. I'm Spencer. And this is the Lasso Lowdown, where we give you the lowdown on all things Ted Lasso. We are marching our way through season two. We are on episode nine. Boy, this is a strange one. Beard after hours. Spencer, how are you feeling this week? I mean, this is a weird extended homage to all night adventures, particularly Martin Scorsese's After Hours, that comes across as, well, you and I were talking about how Apple ex- ordered this season extended from its originally planned 10 to 12 episodes. I think we now can be absolutely certain what were the two extra episodes that they added in after the fact and after they'd storyboard the, storyboarded the whole season. Yeah, network executives, bigwigs, and I know we have a lot of them that listen to The Lasso Lowdown. Let me give you, let me jump right out with a life lessons from Lee. When you have a show and they've already planned a season and you say, actually, I want more. Give me two more. This is what you get. You get where they just toss in. I'm not saying this is bad, but it certainly is apropos of nothing. Um, it doesn't have anything to do with the plot. And we're going to treat it that way here on the Lasso Lowdown. We're going to <laughs> review this episode for what it what it is, which is a standalone episode. Um, it's fun. It's uh, there are some serious moments, but it's mostly just a good time, and that's how we're going to review it. But it really doesn't connect to the rest of the season, other than a couple very, very loose things, um, and you know, obviously the the beard Jane relationship. But I wouldn't say that that's anywhere near one of the most important plot lines of the season. Now, it's a weird art house non sequitur set in the Ted Lasso universe. I mean, it's a psychological journey following Beard, which is fun. It's interesting to learn more about this character and how he ticks and his own degree of demons that he's fighting with. But given the pace of the plot we've otherwise have, these stand standalone episodes kind of do a really abrupt halt to it that we then have to catch back on, on next episode, which is an kind of unfortunate thing to the flow, as enjoyable as they are in the moment. Yeah, it's pretty strange. But anyway, we'll tick through it. Beard After Hours, Season 2, Episode 9. Like all episodes here on The Lasso Lowdown, we have plenty of segments. Segments galore. We'll start with Tea Time with Lee, where I attempt to convince our American audience that tea is not quite as bad as Ted thinks it is. We'll go to a dessert. Spencer brings a dessert. Biscuits with the boss. And then we jump into the recap, which Spencer leads heroically every week, staying up all night, pounding tea all night after hours. Um, at all kinds of late night clubs in order to pound out the recap. Then we'll with jump, the, hoops. Tra- then we'll jump hoops. the train wreck of the episode. Yeah, with little hoops. Train wreck of the episode. No idea what we could do with that segment this week. Sports Center Top 10, where we address 10 things that we liked about the episode. Always 10 on the nose. We're very professional about this. Not 11, not 9. So if you're counting at home every week, just like Beard showing up with coffee in the morning, you can count on it. It will always be 10. And then we cut to Life Lessons with Ted. I guess it's going to be Life Lessons with Beard this week. That's what we're going to do. You have no choice. Life Lessons with Beard. And those <laughs> so are our segments it. this week. Uh, okay, Spencer, let's do a little housekeeping. And then we want to address something at the top before we jump into our episode. Housekeeping is this. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We continue to grow week over week. It's very exciting for us. We do this because we enjoy doing it. But we record it and put it out there because we hope that you enjoy listening to it. Mm-hmm. And it seems that some of you at least do. Here's the thing I like about uh, the reviews we're getting in is that you seem to understand the tone of the show. I'm getting a lot of reviews, which are, hey, love the podcast, but you suck, and here's all the reasons why. So keep those coming, please. We love those. We really actually do love Absolutely. those. Absolutely. This week, I've been called an idiot. I've been called stupid. I've been called a pencil neck geek. I've been called all kinds of things. Please bring them. Bring them my way. Uh, if anybody who knows me knows that that is, uh, you're not going to hurt my feelings, and I enjoy it. Uh, but yeah, but... 
within that, right, is that most of the folks who are sending those insults my way also explain to us that they like the podcast or don't like the podcast and reasons why and give us an, a legitimate rating on one of their favorite podcast platforms, which that's what we're after. That's what we really enjoy. So thanks again, everybody, for listening, rating, reviewing, subscribing. And if you like our stuff, go to your favorite podcast platform. Here's your two magic words, Mangum Talks, M-A-N-G-U-M Talks. And all of our stuff, everything that we have recorded and put out into the ether will magically pop up in your podcast feed and you can check it out and listen to us for hours and hours. Doesn't that sound fun? So yeah, mm-hmm. that's uh, that's the housekeeping here on the Lasso Lowdown this week. Spencer, I think now we can, we can address this at the top. We stepped in it last week. We knew we were going to do it eventually. It took us 18 episodes to do. We finally stepped in it with our audience. We caused a bit of a brouhaha, a war. Um... You sir, yeah, in particular, didn't like... have been... go ahead. You sir, in particular, have been called out by an adoring fan. Well, it was really us, um, but yeah, <laughs> I'm the one that I'm the one that answers these things. So it was uh, it, it seemed it seemed a little personal directed to me. We had multiple people reach out and say they were unhappy with our comments about the Rebecca Sam storyline. So to recap for you, if you're here for the first time on the Lasso Lowdown last episode, uh, it was. The two characters discovered that on banter, Sam and Rebecca were talking to each other. They figured it out and they hooked up. Uh, and it looks like they're going to go that way with the storyline of these two characters. Now, we I, did I'm not, not like, convinced. I'm not convinced, but we'll, we'll see. At least in the short term. Yeah. Um, we did not like it for a number mm-hmm. of reasons, which we articulated in the last episode. And a lot of people pushed back on that, Spencer. And they said that. Our criticisms of the Rebecca and Sam storyline were not fair. So let me give those a little bit of space to breathe here. First, they said, um, why is it uh, so crazy to think that someone would hook up with their boss? This is apparently a, you know, this is a trope that happens all the time in media everywhere. And so the pushback was, why would this particular instance be a problem? Would you like to, would you, counsel, would you like to respond? Thank you, Your Honor. My comment there would be, each time it appears in media, I have a problem with it. It's not that I'm focusing on this show in its unique format and saying that this one example pisses me off. When it generally appears, it's problematic. And I think it's why it appears so common is that it's purposefully transgressive. The shows are acknowledging that it wouldn't be acceptable in the real world, and that makes it kind of exciting and a kind of interesting format to explore in TV. It's also a thing I find really unpleasant and difficult and problematic in the real world and so i often comment on it when i see it in shows that well we actually wouldn't want that to be occurring for all a host of list of reasons how about you uh well the the multiple people called out that i have been pining for rebecca and uh, ted <laughs> and then i had a problem with rebecca and sam getting together because of the boss dynamic and to that i say and i've been thinking about this all week so i have a very um, well, well thought out report, retort here. I've really been chewing on this one, Spencer. So here's my mm. retort. Okay. Okay. Good point. So there you go. That's never happened before. Yep. Good point. They got me. They got me on that one. <laughs> They're not wrong. Uh, I have been saying that I want Ted and Rebecca to get together. And then when Ted or uh, Rebecca and Sam get together, I say that it's a problem because she's his boss. I will say that there's probably a little bit of difference in the power dynamic between the you know the comparative relationships but that's quibbling at the margins the, the core point is fair that, I, that i'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth there so i will grant you that one here's what i won't grant and here's what i do push back on please is folks say well it's not uncommon for people of varying ages to get together 
Why, why, why are you so disgusted by this one? Let me tell you why this one bothers me. And we can argue about why, right? We can, we can argue about my point here, but here's why this bugs me. And I'm interested in your, your perspective here, Spencer, is that mm-hmm. the, it bothers me because the age they put Sam at, they made him 21. If you didn't want me to have a problem with this, make him 26, 28. 21 to me, and I'm just saying my personal opinion, to me is still a kid. I understand that you can drink and you can go in the military and all that stuff, but I'm telling you, I've hung out with 21 year olds, was a 21 year old myself. Mm-hmm. I can just tell you, worry. I think that they're kids. And so that is probably the fundamental tension between the folks who don't mind this storyline or actually actively support it. And myself is that I view 21 as too young for this plot line to be in a, involved with somebody that old. If they would have just aged him up five to six years, I wouldn't have had a big a problem with it. Now, you might say five to six years. Why, why are you why are you making such a big deal about that? Because I feel like the, I feel like those five or six years are pretty formative between 21 and 26, 27. I feel like those are huge years. You grow an awful lot and you start to discover who you are when you're 27, 28. Do you know exactly who you are? No, but I think you're closer than 21. So if I think that's the tension at the core of this thing is that I view 21 as just being a little young for this plot line. And that's what really, um, really turned me off to it. Spencer, your thoughts. I think it's purposeful in the show's part. I don't think they want to make this easy. I don't think they want to make this on the surface in any way acceptable. I think they want to make it as an extreme a case as they could. If they could get away with making him 18, they would have made him 18. Because I think that's what they want to push when it comes to this plot line of, this is a relationship that on paper in any way doesn't work. Now, I long-term think the show's going to play with that and say that now everyone's going to comment on that it's a bad idea and there's all kinds of problems with it and that they're going to be hounded by press or friends or whatever else when it comes to this and it won't work out long-term. I'm betting and hoping that's where the show goes with this, but their starting point wants to make it as socially problematic or socially extreme as possible when it comes to their age difference. Like we noted, it's a purposely larger age difference than her and Rupert, and we had the show previously go into what were all the problems with that age difference when it came to her and Rupert, including the fact that she's now been denied an opportunity at kids and how difficult that is for her in terms of where she now is in her life. So that age difference, I don't think we're meant to view that as just being, oh, that's okay, that works out. I think we're meant to see that as that is a lot so that the show can then frame and set up where they want to go with it. Assuming, of course, that I'm right, that the show isn't actually putting this as a match made in heaven, Romeo and Juliet, where they don't end up killing each other kind of thing. Yeah, no one pushed back on the comparison to Rupert and, you know, his young bride-to-be. Yeah. No, I mean, no one really touched that in their, their, in their yeah, support the show of the Rebecca Sam thing. Yeah, because that is a they certainly have introduced a double standard there. And if you don't see that, then I'm sorry, I, we just disagree. Final point on this, because I know not everybody cares about this. We just wanted to address it at the top. Final point on this is I did get in the comments a few times that Sam is particular is is being portrayed as particularly astute, adult, mature. you would say. Mature, my friend, because he quotes authors. Well, let me, <laughs> let me say this. <laughs> let me say this. I know an awful lot of teenage boys that quote authors. Um, a lot of college students that quote authors. Uh, <laughs> ipso facto does not man make. Just letting just letting you know, every every young boy pheromones rolling, uh, getting into you know getting into adulthood thinks that there's some sort of burgeoning writer. They're going to write the next American 
uh, masterpiece. They've probably got a, a well-worn copy of Catcher in the Rye in their satchel as they ride around on a bicycle. Mm-hmm. That guy is not necessarily an adult. So quoting authors in an attempt to romantically woo someone does not convince me uh, a man is an adult, sorry. And I do think the show has framed Sam as being more worldly and mature than his years in a few ways, but they think they've all still still set up that he is 21. He does have some very immature reactions. He does have a few things that he does without necessarily thinking through the consequences. Not that the show's really gone into what those consequences might be. Spurn, snap. There's time. There's time. I think with this relationship, they can go back into some of those consequences of those coming back up now that they've re-brought back up the, the... effects of the two of them making business decisions now with the relationship being framed. We'll see. But I think the show's done a, a relatively decent job of showing that Sam can come across as being very, almost inspirational in terms of how he, you know, reflects and views the world, while also still being very young. And we'll have to see how they play with that when it, when it comes to their relationship. Just going to point this out. Feel free to throw it right back at me and all of Please. your reviews that are that are coming in, that are insulting me. I'm not a big fan of the super inspiring just because of who they are and always says the perfect poetic thing African. I'm just not crazy yeah. about like, oh, let's introduce one African into our white world and now they are the most they're like the the Barafiki from the Lion King what? and they're like the most wise person ever. Not crazy about that trope personally. Yeah. Knowing a lot of Africans myself, just saying. Yeah, pardon the term, but the actual name of that trope is the magical negro. And you see it in all kinds of different movies as the one black guy that shows up to help lead the white guy on his journey and adventures and experience and serves only that role in the plot. Sam is not that, but Every time when the camera just starts doing angelic music and a halo appears on him and he says the perfect thing to inspire the plot, it has a few references to it, at least. Yeah, yeah. I I, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I was really... So that absolutely exists. You're right. You're, you are 100% explaining something to media. And this does have a feeling of it. I've just also not- noticed it, and it's like... Is culturism a word? Culturalism? Something like that? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm going for because it just seems like every time we introduce an African in our media, it's like they just have this like super wise like soothsayer presence about them that's like, you know, uh, like religious like adjacent, but like definitely religious agnostic, like not a particular religion, but like always being spiritual in a sense. And I I just kind of am sick of the trope and I think it's a little condescending. It's a very common trip you see, for example, with a Native American character appearing in a show. Oh, and yes, yes. If a Native American a character call. shows up, they are immediately mystical and will offer spiritual advice to the white lead about how they can go on their life journey. That is their tropey role. And it is real fetishization when you come to, when you come to a particular cultural uh, exposure that we're seeing. Okay, so I, so I introduced that segment in an attempt to address our criticism for our previous episode and quell quell the anger of the audience i'm fairly sure where (laughs) we ended up i'm fairly sure we ended up you comparing sam to the magical negro might actually have made more enemies so i don't know how we got there i'm not i'm explaining what you were saying (laughs) he isn't that trope oh okay fair enough uh so there you go you got the explanation also we're also doing this in good fun we actually really loved some of the comments we got on this point they really they read some very interesting discussion between the two of us of unpacking what the show's doing with their relationship so please these comments that make us think, that challenge us on our bullshit, more of those. We absolutely love them. Yeah, I was not being tongue-in-cheek when I said I really do enjoy the comments that come in that push, challenge, criticize, whatever. I also enjoy the ones that are just like, 
playground abusive. insulting. I enjoy yeah. those too. That's just how the, I the, how the, I am. The, so the pencil neck geek was lovely. That comment thrown there on a five star great review, just perfect. Pencil neck geek. Yeah, there you go. That's me. Uh, but anyway, thanks everybody for for listening and reviewing and giving us your feedback because it it does make us think and it generates conversations like we just have and I think it makes the podcast better. So thank you for that. Let's now move on into our segments for season two, episode nine, Beard After Hours. Spencer, what is the dessert you brought for Biscuits with the Boss this week? I felt if I wasn't in Florida, it would have to be something with a fair amount of pot or even LSD in it just Woo. to really fit the tone, the tone of this episode. But I don't have that. So I decided to do something that I just enjoy of where I, I freshly baked and they're still warm. Uh, some chocolate chunk cookies. Mm. Yeah. They will be good. They will be delicious and they will help. Get, add, give me a bit of sugar and energy to make it through this marathon of an episode. Yeah, it was a long episode. Spencer, question for you. And a, a Mangum Talks that we did. This is a general uh, conversation podcast that we have out there just called Mangum Talks. That's it. Um, it's with the four of us here at the Brain Trust of Mangum Talks Podcast Network. You pointed out somewhat controversially uh, during an episode where we were talking about desserts that chocolate chip cookies is your favorite dessert all time. I Do love, you still stand by that statement? Absolutely. 100%. Wow. I love Look at that. that. I love on these podcasts of where I will offer an opinion that I think at the time will not come across that controversial. And then we will spend 30 minutes just tearing into my bo- my bone marrow of what the basis of that opinion is and how wrong it is. It's just an interesting take. It's like, um, you know, it's like someone saying, hey, what's your what's your favorite drink? And they say Coca-Cola. It's like, well, I mean, it's not it's not like Coca-Cola is bad. It's just like. Wow, you just hit us with like the most like chocolate chip cookies dessert. Like, I mean, okay, you know. I, I am here in defense of the basic. Basic things are awesome. That's why they become basic. There's no, you know, you don't have to love the hipster swill that people throw out there in the world. You can actually just appreciate the things that are popular because they're good. Let's print those Mangum Talk shirts. Quote, I'm here in defense of the basic. End quote. Spencer. <laughs> Me as a person, embodied in words. www.makeupdogs.com. There you go. Print the shirts up. Uh, okay, so for my tea time with Lee this week, I've increasingly tried to get two teas that have something to do with the episode. Who? What you so go with this one? I did again this week. Um, I did not have any uh, magical mushroom tea, which Beard admitted to in the last episode, uh, drinking before a match. So I actually went uh, with a tea that I think Beard should have had a pot, two pots, 10 pots, whatever it takes, whatever amount he needed to have. I wish he had it at his disposal during this episode. It is Soothing Caramel Bedtime Tea by Yogi Teas. Um, It supports a good night's sleep. And Mm. probably about 10 minutes into this episode, he needed enough, whatever pots he needed to go to bed. Uh, that's what he needed. So <laughs> Plus um, I have picked a, a nighttime tea for you all because I think Beard should have called it a night well, 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 well in advance. That's four wells uh, in advance of when he did. This is the Yogi Tea brand, which I really enjoy. And it has a ma- it has a lot of different stuff in it. So a lot of folks probably think of bedtime tea, you think chamomile tea. So chamomile, obviously in this, but you also have rooibos, which we've talked about on this podcast before. You got chicory root. Uh, skullcap leaf, nutmeg, cinnamon, stevia for a little sweetness, cardamom, ginger, clove, and black pepper for a little spice there on the back end. It's a nice blend, uh, a nice blend herbal tea. Anytime you're getting a bedtime tea, couple couple bedrocks. Obviously, you want caffeine-free. I mean, I think that goes without saying. Two, I think you need some amount of chamomile in it. 
And three, I think you need something like cinnamon, clove, cardamom, something that you get a good smell. Because I think the smell is a big part of that olfactory thing of getting you sort of in uh, your senses into a calm, relaxed state. So you need you need to be able to smell your bedtime tea. So those are my my bedrock things that you need to look for in a bedtime tea. And Yogi mm-hmm. Soothing Caramel Bedtime Tea checks all those boxes, my friend. Perfect. If only Beard had been able to find that in his flat before he set off on his adventure. My goodness, Beard needed a lot of this and he needed to get his butt in bed because he had himself a night. Okay, Spencer, are we ready for the recap? I am if you are. Okay, Season 2, Episode 9, Beard After Hours. Take it away. We start right where the last episode ended, though flipped from Beard's perspective. Uh, Beard setting off to, you know, forget and brush off the game. Ted expressing more than a bit of concern about what he's probably seen his friend do more than a few times before. Yeah, And away we go. It did seem like, you know, Ted knew what was coming. I'm of the view that if we went through just the anthology of Beard's life, these nighttime adventures have not been an uncommon thing. I think he's probably been on more than a few of these journeys. Yeah, especially because he knows seems to know how to handle himself. Seems like he also knows how to maintain a necessary fiction when he needs to for part of these things. So, yeah, the, the man's had prior prep. Yep. He, go, he goes out um, with the blue moon very much hanging in the sky throughout all the episode. A very, very Man City blue moon. Which tells us early that we are going into a bit of surreal exploration of the uh, events of the day. Can't always be sure whether things are happening as we see them. Can't always be sure whether events even occurred. Hard to say, even even through the end of the episode. But Beard stands near Wembley Park in what is a positive sea of Man City fans staring up at this blue moon. And he boards the tube, and we get the opening credits and opening song as done by acoustic guitar, while events unfold sped up behind him. And I wasn't sure of the exact timing of this for when the credits started, because it was subtle, but it seems like one of the fastest credit starts we've had yet on the show. So it's either the fastest or it's close to the fastest. So if you count the credits officially starting as when the train speeds up, then it's 44 seconds to 150. So you have one minute and six seconds until the credits, which is absolutely the shortest. But if you wait until Ted Lasso appears on the seat, which is when I actually knew it was the credits, uh, then it's um, to 224, so you have about 140. So it would not be the fastest if you wait till the Ted Lasso pops on the seat. What I find more interesting maybe than the if it's the fastest or not is the fact that they they did a different uh, intro for this episode. It seems like this one and the Christmas one, which were both standalone episodes, and we'll talk about how they're related into the overall plot um, mm. and overall makeup of the show, business model of the show, et cetera, as we move on. It seems like they, they went away from the, the main theme for both of those. I think in an effect to tell the audience, hey, this is not Ted Lasso. We're doing something else here, but the Ted Lasso that you know of, this isn't it. So they gave yeah. us different credits to kind of convey that message. What did you think? Welcome to a short film set in the Ted Lasso universe. And I like that touch that you can tell from the very moment of the opening credits. This isn't in the mainline continuity. This can be watched separately on it and on its own, and it's fine. It isn't. It is like an, a DVD extra to the rest of the series, effectively. DVD, dating yourself there. I, want, I wanted to say VHS, but that would have been harder. <laughs> uh, Beard does what he always does whenever he's alone, is that he kind of just stares off and then finds a person to stare down. This time, unfortunately, a little girl sitting next to her mom, which leads to an awkward moment. Hey, um, the theme music that's playing is the Ted Lasso theme music that's playing on acoustic guitar. You know that's Marcus Mumford who performed that, right? Yep, same as with the main intro. Though much more obvious, I feel, this time around than it is with the main intro. Yes. 
Uh, Beard arrives at his flat, uh, struggles with his key in the lock. A uh, lot of... Not going to this early. There's a lot of key stuff in this episode. Struggling with the key in the lock, breaking the key in the lock, losing his key and having his keys returned by several people. This is a very much a motif that we see throughout the entire damn thing. Any, any theories on what that represents? I'm guessing it's kind of like an extended metaphor for feeling lost, losing your way home, unable to lo- unlock what's going on in your life. That seems what they're kind of doing with the, with the keys. And yet it's people around him that keep returning the means to him. Which is advice that he seems to even be directly reflecting himself on. Isolating himself, self-loathing, is not helping him. And it's finding other people in his life to help him and support him that actually leads him to be able to continue on. Uh, yeah, I guess. So that makes a lot of sense. I had kind of gone mentally with when the, the key thing kept coming up is beard a part of beard is trying to open the door to a different part of his life he's trying to Mm -hmm. move into a different uh where he's not where his best memories aren't when he's single right it's Mm -hmm. to to the to a different part of his life with jane but he keeps fumbling the key right he can't can't quite get the door open that's what i took it as because i think i think those together work very well in terms of describing it it also is a continuing the references to martin scorsese's after hours have you ever seen that film by the way it's not one of his most popular no only like only made like 10 million bucks. It's a guy that's basically trying to make it home from Soho a, uh, on a night partying in New York. But the whole losing the keys and losing the wallet thing happens a lot in that film, too. So it may also be a reference to that as well. Again, the name and of the episode is Beard After Hours, so it's pretty on point what they're talking about. Answer me true here, co-host. Answer me true, all right? Hand yep. up on the Bible. Get, wh- have you seen that movie or did you Google it? No, I just Googled the shit out of it. I've never seen that Okay, film. all right. No. That man, because if you had seen that movie and I had not seen a Martin Scorsese movie and you came to the podcast, I was going to be so upset with myself. I was going to sit here and just watch Mark, uh, we, watch movies all day long. We will watch that film together at some point in the future. But yeah, that one I hadn't even heard of in terms of Martin, Martin Scorsese's anthology. It's definitely one of his lesser known films, I think. Okay. Yep. But, uh... Beard arrives at his flat, struggles with the key. That clearly will never come up again in terms of troubles with that key and that lock. Definitely not. It is it's a in. British key too, isn't it, man? It's it, like it's like getting into like uh, Bilbo Baggins' little little cave there at uh, in the Hobbit Town. Yeah, that is an entirely unrealistic anachronistic key. It is just a giant hunk of metal that you put in the lock. Yeah, he got he he got that from the mayor after uh, <laughs> after they won their last football. <laughs> yes, match. very much that. Turns on the TV, and it immediately goes to commentary on the game, which may or may not be real. I can't be sure when the commentary actually shifts from being decidedly real to decidedly not. I'm guessing it started as real, and then it was fake the entire rest of the the way. Like, I turned it on for a couple seconds, introducing the game, and then from right there on it went fake. That's my guess, yeah. Because it it returns to real at the end. But these two commentators, who are Gary Lenecki and Thierry uh, Henry... Thierry Henry. Thierry Henry, sorry, French, uh, are very much real-life commentators, greats in the field, and they appear to have a del- just have an absolute blast being on this episode doing nothing but bash beard. That's just so their I, role. I will bring it up at the end, but I, I have to interject here. that Thierry Henry is probably a top 10 football player of all time. So he's not, he is, the fact that he does commentator, commentary is secondary. He I, is I more meant they, all, were greats, they were greats in football for a variety of reasons. He's yes. an all-timer, and I bring it up because what a get for the show. Yeah. Unbelievable to get Thierry Henry. That was, man, that shows how far this show has come. Uh, as said, starts out possibly maybe real, but... 
pretty much by the time they start comparing the performance of the team to the curb-stopping scene from American History X, which they get wrong in saying what Edward Norton film it was. I thought it was Moonrise the, Kingdom. No way. American absolutely not. Uh, or Cinderella Shut Slippers. Up Seth Rollins. <laughs> yeah, good call. Cinder- Cinderella Slippers slicing Achilles tendons and then laying the blame 100% of the feet of the coaching staff. The players are great. They had no problems at all with the coaching staff and their complete lack of a plan and their stupidity on doing an offensive strategy that Beard in particular knew was a horrible idea but got talked into it by the other coaches. Clearly at this point, definitely going into the subject of Beard's self-doubt, self-loathing, lack of certainty in his own position and ability to challenge others. These two represent very much the angel and devil on his shoulder throughout the whole of this episode and providing an anthropomorphized voice to his own doubts. Yeah, and Thierry Henry, the devil, this man has no va-va-voom. Does anything say sad single man more than a chessboard coffee table? Hey, shut up, okay? Chessboard coffee table, pretty good. Uh, I know I'm French and expected to say things like this, but I hate Coach Beard. <laughs> shut up, Thierry Henry. Yeah, a sniveling lackey to te- when he's supposed to serve as Ted's number two. They are calling Beard out in particular all things, and they're clearly expressing Beard's own... Uh, discomfort and doubt about what whether he's actually fulfilling the role that he wants to and needs to for this team. Um, I even like when they're pointing out the chessboard, they're actually physically pointing into the room at the chessboard yeah, behind Beard. Yeah, Alice turns in Wonderland for you, yeah. Very much. Uh, Beard, having heard all of this and then telling uh, Thierry Henry to shut up as he does at least three times in this episode. Shut up, Thierry Henry. Uh, returns to reality, downs his beer, and heads out for another beer at the pub. Nightclub jitters by the replacement splay. Not this is not. This, I don't even know how to rank this as far as my favorite episode. This is just something weird. It is, but, but I can say that the soundtrack probably one of the best that they've ever done. Music's great. It ends. Yeah, on a music's really song. strong. Yeah. Um, he's there uh, while he's also watching this commentary. He's continuing to look at his phone and debate calling Jane. And we find out that why when he's at the pub and May asks him how's it going, and he reveals to May that he broke up with Jane. Because he told her that he loved her, and she didn't say it back, leaving him very uncertain where he stood and doubting their relationship. May commiserates what he first th- that you know, that must feel awful, and he first thinks that she's talking about Jane, offering the uh, Rumi quote: "Reason is powerless before the expression of love," uh, which Rumi is Jalal al-Din Muhammad Rumi, a 13th-century Persian or Afghan philosopher. People debate such. Beard very well read as we as everybody on this show is. Yep. Uh, she's actually though talking about the match, uh, tearing into their overly offensive tactics, which again leaves open the idea whether she's actually saying this or Beard is just hearing it in his own head. Really hard so, to say in this episode. So shout out to you for the reference. That was a really that was really solid. Um, I think when May starts screaming, "What the hell were you thinking?" Um, in a semifinal, in a semifinal. I think that's that like starts to. No, that starts to break reality, I think, a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, and initially, when, when he first breaks reality, when Thierry Henry starts speaking to him, right, and that guy, other guys start speaking to him, you hear this sort of like, before it happens. It's a warping, yeah. I was hoping they were going to do that every time it breaks reality the rest of the episode. They did not. It was a one-off. And I was like kind of disappointed in that. I thought it would be kind of cool if they gave us that little clue. It would have been useful in terms of being able to better assess this episode, but I don't think... I want, think they want to make this episode opaque. I think that first one was just to give you the idea that we are going to be not always perfectly grounded in reality here, and that they really don't kind of give us the audio cue any point thereafter. We know it can exist, but it's up to us to kind of deduce from that point on. Beard goes up to his table, noticeably drops his keys. We're going to see that a lot over the course of this episode. 
He gets some texts from Jane, which encourage him to come out and be and be with her. That he'll feel better at the club. They can commiserate about the game. I've got Beard, all these. You want to hear them? I, uh, I, I but, did all. I did all the text uh, sleuthing through the episode. Please do. Okay. Um, except when I couldn't, when it was like a thousand texts later. But uh, here I can. So here are these texts in order from Jane. Mm-hmm. I saw the result. Unlucky. Come find me? Question mark. You'll feel better. Note his background is a picture of her face. It is. He says, where are you? She says, I've gone to the club. I think it's what you need. I will return to this point. I think it's what you need. She mm-hmm. gave him. And then he starts to type, I told you how I felt, and I can't keep doing this if you won't, dot, 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 then deletes it, which is a move we've all done in yeah, perpetuity absolutely. forever and ever for the rest of time. Indeed. While he's in the middle of doing this, the fan trio, and I finally wrote down their names because I've just been calling them the fan trio the entire damn show. Their names are Baz, Jeremy, and Paul. I'm going to continue to refer to them as the fan trio, though, but just so everybody knows. They arrive with Beard's keys and an offer of both a hug and a talk. Beard agrees to nothing about the hug or really the talk in the sense that let's not talk about the game and let's not talk about drink. Anything else is fair game. The trio jump on this opportunity and offer... Rapid fire, three questions. One, have you ever been to Vegas? Two, what's Ted like behind closed doors? And three, how do you cope with knowing that the universe is infinite, but your consciousness can end in a second? Thank you, Paul. Always counted him for those kind of things. Okay, let's run through his answers. Okay. Uh, Beard leans back and then just answers the ever-loving shit out of these questions. Vegas. Many times, but don't stay for more than two days. One, it's good. Two, perfect. Three, too much. Uh, should we go into our own answers to these questions? Once we do well, this? I was yeah. Let's 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 flesh out his. Uh, okay, and then then we'll we'll do our ours. Uh, Ted is a man, just a man. Uh, and three, we don't get to see the entirety of his answer to the third question because apparently it takes downing an entire pint or the time it takes to down an entire pint to fully. It was explain like six it. pints, I think. Yeah, there's a few. Uh, the bar is actually closing behind him by the time this is done. But it apparently goes really deep into simulation theory is what Beard is really adhering to here. And so, in conclusion, if this is all indeed a simulation, which everything in my experience suggests that it is, Mm -hmm. then all we can do is tip our caps to the rascal pulling the strings. Everything in my experience suggests that it is had me rolling. That was really funny. And I like Um, how much it just blows the fan trio's mind that once they're done, their world has been altered by this brief conversation with Coach Beard. Yeah, did the Matrix not make it across the pond? They didn't. They didn't catch that movie <laughs> franchise. Hey, that's an old film now, dude. Not everybody's seen it. Okay, so back to the questions, Spencer. Questions one and three go. Number one: Have you ever been to Vegas? I've never been to Vegas. I, there have been so many, uh, you know, our our friendship group opportunities that I've not had an opportunity to actually join them with. So I have yet in my life not gone to Vegas. How do you cope with? No, how do you cope knowing the universe is infinite, but the con- but your consciousness can end in a second? Go. These, these kind of deep philosophical questions that keep people tied in knots have never bothered me. Like the idea of the universe is infinite and our consciousness can end in a second. For me, that's just like, well, there's all the more room for adventures. So I've never like gotten, gotten into knots tied up with these questions about, you know, gone into depression about them. The idea of the universe is infinite and there may not be necessarily a purpose behind it. It's like, great. We get to choose what, we, what, what, what it is then. And every day, every day is a new adventure and excitement. Hmm. Okay. You, sir. Uh, yeah. Have I ever been to Vegas? Uh, many times I've been to Vegas. Shocking. I know the audience will, will never guess that I've been to Vegas. I can agree with Beard for normal people. Normal people, one night is good, two nights is perfect, three is too many. 
um, there are some people who who participate in in excess to the mm-hmm. uh, to the nightlife that Vegas has, and those are the people you have to drag away on the fourth night. Um, yeah, and I've seen I've seen it on both sides of the coin. But absolutely, I think most people go for two nights. That's about right. That's when you've lost about twice what you were planning on losing gambling, um, and the hangover <laughs> is about twice as bad as you were anticipating. Uh, that's when you need to get the hell out of there. And the last one, how do I cope knowing the universe is infinite, but my consciousness can end in a second? Um, well, the consciousness can end in a second thing is pretty startling, but knowing the universe is infinite, I think that just further reinforces to me that there's a lot I'm not going to know, so I don't need to pretend like I know everything. Bang, mm-hmm. go. Well said, sir. Uh, May announces that it's closing time. The pub needs to close with the wonderful line of, just like my legs after the date with the guy who kept correcting me, we're closed. What makes it even more funny is the guy is there. Richard you went is on a date right with him, Richard. Uh, I believe you find we went on two dates. May still correcting her after even all these years. Okay, uh, we got another. We got another round of quiz. Uh, Spencer, is coffee a date? It is. If you both, it, it is. If you, it can be. It very much can be. It more going into the intent of the parties. It's it's not in the category of where it's automatically a date if two people are doing it. But it can be a date if that is what the, you know, are both of the mindset of. Okay, I feel strongly about this. Coffee, not a date. We all need to be in lockstep about this because if we pretend it's a date, if we say that it can be a date, we put way too much pressure on the other sex when you ask for a casual coffee. We need to all be in agreement that coffee's not a date. That way, that way you can throw it out and you don't it's not, not a lot oh, of pressure wait. and you your your success rate will be much higher if we all pretend not pretend if we all agree that coffee's not a date every all the single people out there your success rate will be a lot higher getting that cup of coffee so if there's not that date you're pressure. not actually necessarily thinking that it is or isn't a date you're just saying we need to maintain the necessary fiction for the sake of being able to function uh we need to I, you can you, you can word it however you want to, uh, Esquire. But I say that we, we need to say that it's not a date. That way the kids out there who are asking for a coffee can get their coffee. Okay, fine enough. Uh, Beard gets a text from Jane essentially telling him that she's at what appears to be a religious-themed club and encouraging him that even if he doesn't want to join her, she hopes that she's having fun. Good sentiment, if nothing else. She um, uh, are, are we comparing Jane to uh, an angelic sort of messiah figure? Like she's going to save Ted? Or uh, Beard? Uh, I think we can assess, compare her to a religious figure. I wasn't necessarily going with angelic messi- uh, messianic, but we can debate that by the end of the episode. Well, I mean, I, I just mean like, you know, maybe that symbolism is there along with this. You know, you can see where I'm going with the key thing Beard, too, is that Jane is is to save him in some way. Be- Beard certainly views her as his angel uh, in a variety of ways, even if he assesses that she actually doesn't meet that role in any way that will actually help him. But... She's what he wants, it appears. And let's, given how much we went into Sam Rebecca, let's talk even more about Jane Beard by the end of this episode, because it deserves to be unpacked to a certain degree what we think about it. Yes, sir, I agree. Uh, Beard, having gotten this text message, is determined to not let England's 11.30 pub closure, which I forgot that was a thing, to, to stop his evening. Yeah, what the hell, England? My God, 11.30. This comes well, from a guy who doesn't even drink. Like, I mean, I might want some food after 11.30. <laughs> Yeah, it's a problem. Uh, the fan trio proposed that they go to Bones and Honey, a private swanky club so private and swanky that they apparently even turned Cher away. Do you believe they did such a thing? I love Paul. Paul is great. Uh, Beard is intrigued, and May steps in to help with the dress code that the place inevitably has, and the four set off 
looking great-ish to fit, you know, by the streets, which is another great song for this episode. I bet that I bet pub owners like that do end up with a lot of hats, scarves, and coats of people. Particularly, who, yeah, come come in in winter, set it down, get drunk, leave. Yeah, I'm sure if you wanted to like assess like amount of lost clothing a bar has, winter clothing probably is massively overrepresented. Just because the most common things you would just take off and then forget and leave at the table. 100% agree. Well, it gives them a wonderful supply of overcoats, scarves, hats. They're, they got a better look than the jerseys that they were in to go off to head to this very exclusive establishment. Looked like extras in train spotting. That's what it, it looked like to me. With the four of them walking off together, they even look more like extras in train spotting. Yes, it's perfect call. Uh, they arrive at the club. Beard appears to rapidly go through several different tactics to manipulate the woman at the counter to provide her name. And notably, I liked, she offers him to provide his own, and he doesn't. And made me realize, we still don't know Beard's first name, do we? Nope. We have no idea what Beard's full name is. We just know him as Coach Beard. Coach Beard. That's all we know. Uh, and that's, you know, I think he even says that it's something like, that's for me to know, or something like that. No, she says, Sarah Combs, what is your name? None of my, of my business. That's the writer. It's probably even a comment as a writer. He doesn't even know what Beard's full name is at this point. That's a that's a veteran move right there, and that's a that's a thrower off the scent. She's not gonna she's not gonna know where he's coming from. It leaves her baffled, uh, which buys enough time for a phone call to come in, <laughs> which purports to be from the fire brigade, but is actually from the fan trio that are outside informing Sarah Coombs. They've now learned his name. Beer runs out to provide the name at the key moment that her flat is on fire and she needs to come down now. She uh, runs off to deal with that shit. And the fan trio hilariously try to be as, you know, act natural as possible and do every unnatural thing they possibly can as she runs by. Yeah, beard up against the wall, Paul in front of him, another guy Grinding against him. Another guy points at the sky and says, Orion's belt! Yeah, that that is how natural people act in the streets of London at night. She's too distracted to care and just kind of runs off, and they... Well, they start walking and walking and head on into the club. We're walking. Oh, a pause for a brief story about my personal life. Please. Um, I once went on a date with uh, with a woman, um, Mm -hmm. and I think it was our maybe second or third date. Uh, It was at a coffee shop, but we were getting food. Just want to clarify. We were also getting food. Uh, So it was a date. (laughs) And she gets a phone call. Steps up from the table, gets a phone call, comes back and says, I think my house is on fire. And I said, that's it. I've seen it all. That's I've I've been ghosted in many ways. This is the apex of being ghosted, of being uh, of someone not enjoying the date and needing to get away. So I was like, "How about that? That was yeah. pretty stunning." Message I'm going to tell that story for as long as I can um, for the rest of my life. And I get home and I forget about her. And two days later, she calls and says that her house burnt down. So, she, so wait, 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 wait! Her house really wait, wait. burnt down. No, <laughs> no, no. That doesn't exist in reality. No, that only no, only in movies. I'm telling you, her house burned down. She got home and her house was on fire. That was a real thing. Did, did you go on another date with her? We did not. Okay, it was, it, things were done right there. I wasn't really digging her anyway, but that's why I was so like okay with the sort of like brush yeah, off. Message but received. I, it was sort of stunning that she said my my I think my house is on fire, and I said, well, you know, this is obviously a lie. And then I I find out later that her house did indeed burn down. Well. 
With her house happily not on fire, which I love they debate the ethics of this trick in Fight Club terms, in terms of assessing whether, whether what they did was good or not for her, concluding that it was, as in Fight Club, going to make her love her flat ever more than she ever did before. Uh, they head on into the club, and immediately when they arrive, and it's a... It's a it, it, I, w I wasn't sure what I was expecting, but it just looks like a high-class club. Looks like a nice bar kind of thing, really. Looks fine. Yeah. Uh, the fan trio, though, immediately feel out of place. This is not their kind of establishment. You knocked that shit off. If you could be anywhere in the world, where would you be? Then act like it. Man, I... That's the... That's a I'm telling speech you, right there. I'm telling you. Back in my back in my party days, when we were all, we were all out somewhere, I was that guy. Everybody's like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I can talk to... Like, I love that move from Beard. Yeah. Hey, hey, knock that shit off. Right. We, we, we deserve here. to be here, okay? We're the coolest guys in this room as long as we act like the coolest guys in this room. All right? Now, go. Attitude matters, and that's what he's trying to get them in the mindset. The also offer that he's going to be the one paying for all of their overpriced beer, because I can only Shout imagine what a beer cost at this place, also really gets them pumped up. Oh, uh, uh, you've never been to Vegas. Uh, Spencer, I've been to, I went to a bar in Vegas one time. Not lying. Bar, uh, beer was $32. Now, what in the world would happen to you if you went and ordered a beer and it was $32? What would be Spencer's reaction? I would calmly back away from the bar without giving my card or touching the beard and leave that establishment forever to tell stories about it in the future about what a nightmarish place I happened to arrive into. <laughs> 32 bucks, not good. How? How? What? It's a beer. There's no, there's no beer that can ever cost $32. Overhead. Overhead built into the price. Not my kind of place. Give me a hole in the wall where the beard with beer costs a fraction of that, and I'm perfectly content. <laughs> uh, luckily for them, he encourages them to you know, practice their strut as A Girl Like You comes on by Edwin Collins, which is a perfect song to strut to with that rhythm. You can't help but strut to it. What a song. Uh, they head on in. Beard uh, goes to the bar and orders four beers and bottles with no further instructions. Something will arrive, sure. And notices across the bar, there is a woman in red who seems to notice him too, and they share a bit of a moment. By the time he turns back, she's already gone, and if Beard knew the story of John Dillinger, he would know that she's a horrible idea, but he continues to pursue her throughout the evening. Man, you catch, like, every reference. Shout out to you. I'm here for you. Uh, the Fantry are trying to mingle with the educated upper crust, but are sticking out like sore thumbs. Luckily, Beard charges into the rescue, laying on a thick Irish accent, and offering the name Professor Declan Patrick Alois, I can pronounce that Irish name, McManus. Which Aloysius. Aloysius. Aloysius, Aloysius McManus, McManus. Which, if you weren't familiar, is really close to the real name of Elvis Costello, which I think is an in-joke. So, um... I had a thought on this. Do you, how far into filming do you think they were before they realized the actor who played Beard could do an Irish accent? And then after that, how far until they wrote it into one of the scripts? Because I feel like this is the type of thing where they were sitting around and he did it and they went, that's amazing. And we are putting that in the show. I watched an interview with uh, the actor. Was, you know, it's, is it Brendan Hill? Is that the name of the actor? I'm blanking on it right now. No, no idea. Uh, look, look it up while I'm talking. We, we, we can do, say afterwards. But the way you described it is the, you know, they, the 10 episodes planned. They'd done 20 episodes originally and narrowed it down to the 10 they thought best fit with the, best fit with the season. And then Apple said, no, we want 12. So they went back through the other 10 to pick two more that worked and that they could fit into things. And Jason Sudeikis decided, we'll do, we'll do these two. So it was already all written 
before they were told they needed uh, two more episodes. But the little details about whether Beard could do an Irish accent, I have to imagine that was on the fly kind of thing. Because it was just written on a page. Brendan Hunt. Uh, I don't know. I just feel like maybe Jason Sudeikis caught wind. Because this is not a, I'm doing a like a funny fake Irish accent. This is like, he crushes the Irish accent. Like, that is not something everyone can do. Yeah. And it just adds to the uh, whole identity that he is assuming to sell this role right now is he pretends to be a former Oxford professor who is out at the bar with his ex-student protégés for a what he refers to as liquid reunion, which is a wonderful way of referring to that activity. His cover story rapidly survives any degree of question or challenge by these stuffed shirts until they are fully convinced that he was a professor of economics and management at Merton College, despite the fact they went to Oxford themselves, helped by the fact that he apparently is able to know, he knows one of them by name because he was a crew member in a 2015 beat over Cambridge. That guy does not give his name. Doesn't give his name, but Beard just is able to yell it out at the bar, hey, it's this guy, it's this it's guy. It's Harry Gill. Yeah. Which, man, this guy goes deep when it comes to the details of all of this. He is no half measures when it comes to, you know, being able to work out these personas. Apparently because he dated a professor at Oxford and listens more than he talks. Question for you. He hasn't spent that much time in the UK. We haven't seen him date that many people. Is Jane that professor? No, he said dated. Well, I guess yeah. they technically broke up. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, I don't maybe know. Jane's a professor. Could, I, I'm not trying to be too judgmental about what we've seen from that character, but it's a little hard to believe that she would be. She, she could be a professor of the arts. That could fit Oof. the personality. That would be tough. I don't know. I tend to think he, he maybe dated someone before Jane while he was there. Um, I, I Favorite favorite little detail here is he knows when the organ uh, yeah, goes off every single morning. 8.15. Yeah, I, I, very good. They're, they're pushing him hard. They clearly doubt this cover story. These guys don't even know what Trig is. They have a hard time believing that they're graduates of Oxford. But he is ready with just every detail down the line to do this perfectly. To the end, they are convinced that they've met a long-lost professor, a, long, a long-lost buddy they didn't even know. You and Merton motherfucker. It's a great moment. It also sets up for the fan trio to accept the 20-pound bet that they were making with these guys at billiards. Professor McGonagall taught us a lot. The main thing he taught us was the value of money. Nice reference there to Harry Potter. McGonagall obviously becomes a hawk later on in the series and does, in fact, kill uh, Snape and Harry. So just just a little bit of teaser there. Okay, okay. Let's set a ground rule right here just right now. You know I'm a very impressionable person, and you know I have no ability to actually recognize, recognize sarcasm others despite the fact it's my lingua franca. Please stop fucking with my brain when it comes to Harry Potter. I don't know. I really don't know when you're messing with me or not. Yeah, Spencer right now doing a chapter-by-chapter chapter reread of Harry Potter. He is unsullied. He does not know the ending to the, to the series, and that is another Mango Talks podcast called Pottering Around. He does not know, completely in the dark, that McGonagall becomes a Death Eater and kills Harry. I'm going to write this down for later, and again, we'll add that to the list of things you and I may have words about at some point. For right now, though... <laughs> The fan trio are able to struggle to meet the 20-pound bet. I think they pull every bit of dime out of their pocket to make it happen. But after some scrounging, it's on the table. The bet is accepted. And the one that's doing it sinks the hell out of that shot, which should come as no surprise. These guys basically live in a pub. So you would expect that they probably have a little bit of experience when it comes to pool. That's the no-look shot. Gangster. But I also like, too, that to the credit of the uh, stuffed shirts... 
they immediately just celebrate this as something fun that just happened among friends. They don't get pissed. They don't fight him on it. That 20 pounds probably isn't anything at all. But still, they seem like this is just another fun addition to the evening and they're celebrating along with their now newfound friends. Uh, Beard notices the woman in red is staring at him from across the bar again. And so he starts to head over to, uh, well, talk with her. He goes, uh, she heads off in a particular direction, and so he goes to follow her down what is a psychedelic hallway into a surreal room of lava lamp TVs. Again, this appears to be actually in this club, but I can never be sure when it comes to this episode or not. Question for you. When we saw the woman in red, she had a drink in her hand, right? I think so, yes. Okay. Just want to point that out. Looks like she was drinking whiskey. She was, I think, early on. That was the first drink we saw of her. Yeah, I think that was what she was drinking. I'll reference that again later. Please do. Uh, While he's sitting down to just kind of have a moment to breathe in this very, very odd room, all of the TVs shift to the game once again, convincing us again that we are no longer in perfectly grounded reality, where it's the same two commentators now directly speaking as to Beard's self-doubt on feeling unworthy of Jane and having self-esteem so low that he would need a pep talk to commit suicide. Uh, 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 Henri I don't know if that's a funny I don't know if that's a great thing to be like kidding around with the, the, the plot line that was just introduced last episode I feel like are these different writers writing these scripts again this one, this one was written as just an additional episode and they found a place to put it the timing of it weird works. thing to joke about weird thing to joke about uh, well, I also like that it's Thierry Henry that's volunteering to give him that pep talk to help him with that process shut up Thierry Henry he stands up, angry, and promptly rips his pants on an extended nail from this desk that he was sitting Goddamn on. Goddamn fucking shit! Security arrives to the noise, and rather than address his concerns about the quality of their furniture, they instead ask for his membership card. He sighs, grins, and is promptly thrown out of the club, regardless of the fact that his friends are still in there. Out on the street, though, the woman in red is waiting for him, now wearing an animal print overcoat. Uh, they share some charged banter. My favorite one being, oh yeah, we're a repressed nation. One exposed arse can bring down the monarchy itself. How dare you speak of Prince Andrew that way? Shots fired, Jesus. God, man. Beard been hanging around Ted for a long time. That was, uh, yeah. that was Ted level quick. That was quick right there. Uh, she offers to fix his pants, which I, at the time, assumed, okay, I guess that's just how they refer to it in that part of the world. And they head off together while a jazzy mood music trumpet plays, Together is a Beautiful Place to Be. Yeah, I feel like they slip in and out of different um, genres in this. And, and this, yeah. this little about five minute segment is obviously a little film noir for us. It's, it's mixed between film noir and like before sunrise kind of thing that we're kind of slipping into in this particular moment. I'll tell you, when uh, she says, I can fix your pants, I could have come up with a storyboard of 20 different things she might have meant. I'm going to sit down at a sewing machine and patch your pants was the not, el- not on that list. No. Once we arrived at her very industrial looking flat and there's just a sewing machine that was there, I was completely thrown off my game. I was like, oh, maybe she is actually here to fix his pants. Yeah, that okay. me too. Yep. They arrive at a set. Her very... I actually kind of like industrial style flats and this very much fits into that. Uh, oh, hell yeah. They're nice. One overgrown brick room. It's great. Little exposed, exposed plumbing and, and wood at the top. Yeah, it's, it sets it. I like this. Uh, there's a sewing machine there, and she instructs him in very authoritative terms to take off his pants. Which, again, the sewing machine's there. She seems to be going towards it, but she's asking him very much dominatrix-style, take off your pants. 
You're not and in charge I'm, of me. I, I, both I and Beard are not entirely certain what the night is about to unfold to. That's a, uh, that's a smooth line. Like, if you're around a woman and she's like, take off your shirt, say, you're not the boss of me. It's a pretty yeah. it's a pretty smooth line. See, that yeah. this is like the little little breadcrumbs that Beard has been here before. Mm-hmm. Uh, she goes over to what appears to just be a rack of random clothing and takes off a replacement pair of trousers, which look like they were last worn by Elton John circa about 1975. Uh, they apparently were worn by an old lover who is now dead, which raises serial killer concerns at the time. And she keeps these trousers and other things, particularly trousers, as memoirs of those who have come and gone from her life. Beard, uh, Beard drops his keys as he's replacing her plants, which she tells him about, and she sits down at her sewing machine to seemingly just work on his pants. Question for you. Did Beard fully understand what he was going into this for, or did, did he assume this was going to be some level of liaison? I think he thought it was going to be some level of liaison. I think when she started fixing his pants, he thought, oh, that's nice too. Like he yeah, seems like he's in that seems like he's at the level of drunk where it's with it's the, the go with the flow, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have the first couple beers and then there might be resistance to the to the to going anywhere. You might want to have a little yogi soothing caramel bedtime tea and just get to bed. Uh you get into that uh, some for some people like the 4 to 7 beer range and then it's like whatever, go with the flow. Yeah. And then it becomes like the 9 to 12 and it's a da- disaster. You know, he, he's, he's very much at the I'm here for the evening level of drama. Yeah, it's whatever. As evidenced yeah. by the fact that her phone rings and she says answer it and he does. Like I would, what, on what universe Spencer would you answer someone else's never. phone in that situation? I, never. Not Particularly when the name that comes up is do not disturb or do not answer. It's something like that. Uh, it's a joke. Uh, yeah, it's a joke. It's a joke. Uh, th- before before that happens, though, they discuss briefly, you know, relationships and regret with Beard revealing that his happiest moments have been the ones where he's single, which upsets him, which is a very revealing line about the guy. Uh, have you Beard... ever looked back on a relationship and regretted it ended? What a, what a bland question. What human... Doesn't have a doesn't have a relationship that they regretted it ended. Was, what kind of question is that? Small talk banter, the kind Ugh. that it's prompting a conversation rather than having any weight to itself. Beard lays down what appears to be a mix between a psychiatrist couch and a fainting couch, kind of keeping in the mental health themes of the season. Yep, and talk and talks of loving Jane and wanting to be with her all the time. And whether that is, you know, love or insanity, to which the lady in red, whose name we later find out is Mary, but I like referring to her as the lady in red, so I'm going to keep doing that. Yeah, let's keep uh, doing that, lady in red, for sure. Uh, uh, says that, you know, love love or a problem, why can't it be both? Which is an accurate kind of thing. For sure. I don't even need to put that in life lessons. Love yeah. love is all, if you're truly in love, it's always at least some some part of a problem. Yeah. It is do not answer, which is which, which appears on the phone. As you said, beard drunk enough to actually, you know, follow through with answering that on her suggestion, reveals in a FaceTime call, making it even more fun, particularly wouldn't answer somebody else's phone if it's a FaceTime call. Even more so there. Crazy thing to do. Reveals swole, swole, bald Roy Kent. The the jealous boyfriend who is outside and determined to murder Beard for what he assumes is the cheating that Beard has stumbled into. Can I tell you like a small point about this scene that really crushed me, made me laugh real hard? Is when he answers it, which is just stupid enough move, and then the guy says, "Who are you?" And he's like, "Yeah," he waves at him. Yeah, I love that. Hey, how are you? He's that drunk of where that's just how you communicate with people. Uh, Hi. (laughs) 
would, would it be fair to say the woman in red looks really amused by all this that's unfolding before her? Yeah, I mean, we we later find out that this this guy cheat has cheated on her. It seems like she probably likes um, likes needle in him that maybe she's doing the same. A mix between that and getting off on the drama. I thought almost at this point he was stumbling into their role play. Oh, duh. Mm. Who can say? Dirty don't, there. Go, go, don't Spencer going blue. It's it's where I live. We find out later isn't. It's much more along the lines of your theory. But she's her little smiles, her little run, kind of breathy thing that she says to him. This is all part of a plan on her part that she's delighting in. That's a reference to something, right? The run and then the music breaks. I can't I can't place it, yeah, but I feel like I've is. seen that yeah. before where someone's looking at someone and goes, run. And then because the music hits up as soon as Beard then takes off. I just can't place it. If you if anybody knows out there where what that please reference is, please please send a, us a message and let us know because that, that one's bugging me. Uh, Beard takes that advice and runs up the fire escape with the door breaking open behind him. But you know, if you go up on a fire escape, you're quickly going to get cornered. There's not going to be a, there's not going to be another option that you jump on when you, get, when you finally get to the roof. Yep. Uh, Swole Roy Kent arrives, quickly corners him, but thinking on his feet, looking over the edge, Beard jumps off this like six story roof down into a dumpster. Now, that was going to be my question for you is how many stories you thought that was? Because I thought it was two. It, it, I, I don't know for sure, but it looked like it was a hell of a drop down. I was thinking at least three or four. Okay. It's a, it's a drop. It's a drop that if you actually did this, I would not advise people to ever attempt this in real life. No. For one thing, trash bags often are not soft. They're full of the shit you throw away. Yep. Uh, Beard survives this with nothing more than a little limp and starts to, you know, can continue his escape with Swole Roy Kent still pursuing him. Luckily, we get that classic trope of the passing bus and Beard disappearing behind it. The bus heading off to Richmond, he's somehow able to get aboard. He thinks he's fine. The night is done. He's going to Richmond. It's going to be great. <laughs> Still got it. I don't like that you're calling this guy Swole Roy Kent and not not a, a like an avatar for me. There's I mean, an we, element... need, we need to make sure that the audience understands that this. I'm not a pencil neck geek. I'm, 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 I'm very much like this fella. Yes. Okay, this is the gains you aspire to, <laughs> sir. This is this is what you're Got heading the, for in life. Those are not natty gains, as the boys no. would say. Those are not natural gains. Uh, yeah, he swore a kid because the man has used his fuck as, it, as a sentence enhancer at least four times every sentence. That's what he runs on. For sure. When he when Beard does that little quick on the on the quick bus escape. thing, and then he does the the fist pump, still got it. That also got me giggling. Good writing. Well, I, it also even further proves that this man has done this more than a few times before. This is the life that he leads. Yep. Unfortunately, he could not have bet on a very unpleasant old woman also being on the bus with him. She's the which, worst. Uh, she she is the ultimate hall monitor of a person who calls huh. out that he hasn't paid yet. Not sure how he got on the bus without paying in the first place. Maybe he got in through a window. Who can Seemed say? like a window situation, yeah. Yeah. Bus driver slams on the brakes, demands that he pays. For Beard to unfortunately then realize that, yeah, when he handed over his pants to the lady in red, he left things in the pockets, including his phone and his wallet. He is armed Excuse only with... me, madam? Yeah, yeah, that goes nowhere. She tells him off, he gets thrown off the bus. Piss off, you fucking stranger. And he is left alone on the streets of... I, we are in London, right? This is all yeah. done in London night. Okay. I think he's... Yeah, Wembley. Wembley's in London, right? Yeah, yeah he's in London... Um, have you ever, Spencer, you probably haven't, you ever, uh, had the drunken night where you've lost the, the wallet and the phone and you're still out and about? I don't need to be drunk to lose my wallet and phone, sir. I assure you. 
I, uh, I, I will, uh, I'm going to reach back into the well of memories, uh, before I, before I stop drinking. Um, yes, I've had those nights and it is, man, it's really hard to get around. I'm telling you, I don't know how they did it like a hundred years ago because it, it, when you no no money and no phone, like you're, you literally are just walking around like begging taxis to take you home. Like it is a tough, it's a tough look. And Roy, uh, Ted, uh, sorry, uh, Beard got in this situation and I was thinking, how the hell is he going to get himself out of this one? Cause you, you're out of options at that point. Yeah, you're you're relying on the kindness of strangers, and strangers at night when you've had a drunken evening are not kind. They're not. You don't run. Into I mean, it'd be one thing if you were in a group, right? It'd be one thing if you were in a group. He's solo. by himself, man. Well, tough. Old lady not providing any assistance. He instead tries to go to a hotel receptionist, uh, whose defining character trait for the brief time we spend with him appears to be paranoia. Because uh, yeah, he utterly refuses to help, and I'm left again to ponder with how extreme a reaction that guy offers. To what degree this is all just a beard fever dream? I'm not sure. Not sure, but that guy, one thing I know about him for sure, um, evading taxes on his cryptocurrency. That is oh, obviously yeah. happening. Uh, sad jazz. It's capital sax. gains, folks. You have to you have to pay taxes on that. Indeed. <laughs> Dogecoin. Uh, sad jazz uh, sax plays while beard walks down the streets alone. And he comes across or walks into what is the quintessential I'm about to be murdered alley. Uh, and is surprised to run into Jamie's dad and friends. Mr. Tart returns. Uh, they have a bit of a confrontation. It's revealed that they intend to, you know, beat the ever-loving shit out of him. And Beard tries to run away to a sudden change in cinematography to the shaky cam, I'm about to be murdered style of film work. Yeah, little little born identity for you. Only to be stopped by a locked door and a dead end. The announcers appear now just sitting on a table next to him in the room, leaving out any pretense that they're actually real. Part of me uh, thinks Beard really wanted to get beat up tonight. <laughs> I think I agree with Henri on that one. Yeah, they, they're discussing the idea that Beard clearly seems to suffer from a certain measure of self-loathing and is seeking to punish and isolate himself from others that otherwise could help him. Hence Shut up, the Dear Henri. Hence possibly the repeated key motif. Uh... Yeah, Beard tells off the air on rape and gets into a prolonged scuffle with Tart and gang to Marcus Mumford's version of Blue Moon. Blue Moon. His keys immediately go flying and As Beard, I think it's fair to say, just keeps fighting for far longer than he should. Just She's one of those guys that refuses to go down. Yeah, so here's a life lessons with Lee out there to the kids. Don't fight. It's not good to fight. In any circumstance, you should not fight. However... If a fight is coming your way, always punch first. Yeah, it matters a lot. Always punch first. Get one like look at them and say, if the fight is coming, you guys are probably gonna beat me up, but I'm gonna hit one and get hard. Well, unfortunately, Theron redistracted Beard from probably what his plan was there, and Beard unfortunately takes the first punch and it clearly knocks him off his game for the whole fight. I enjoy the stick to itiveness of Beard here, though. He oh, keeps yeah. going at him, and it, you know, it kind of works. It's almost like a rope a dope situation because He's you see Jamie's dad gets real tired. Yeah, he starts huffing and puffing. I looked like he had a little. He looked like he could have taken Jamie's dad in that one on one at that moment because he had him. He had him George Foreman worn out, you know, in Zaire. Like he just couldn't yeah. couldn't deal with it. Yeah, one on one, I'm betting on Beard versus any of those three guys. Two on one, I think he'd at least be able to put up a better showing. But three on one, there's only so much he can do. Nobody, nobody wins three on one unless you're, you know, Jack. You know, you look, Lee. You're the avatar for Lee. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yes, that guy. <laughs> uh, it really reaches the next level, though, when Beard, you know, kind of trick cold cocks one of them and offers to make it a draw. 
At that point, Jamie's dad decides <laughs> that they're going to progress this to just straight up murder and grabs an iron pipe that's laying on nearby. Fellas, how about we call this a draw? Fook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. When he grabs that pipe, at this point, there's no way you hit another person with a pipe without it being attempted murder. That's just how that goes. Uh, yeah, I mean, legally speaking, I'm not sure he was going to try to kill him, but yeah, I legally speaking, I think so. I don't think he was thinking about it, but if you hit another person in the head with an iron pipe, the risk of killing them goes up exponentially. Yeah, a little brain bleed situation. Don't hit people with a pipe. Like, if you're going to fight... Life lessons with fight, don't hit them with pipes. Yeah, like, how about that? Like, don't hit people with pipes. Like, if you're going to fight, throw hands. Don't don't pick up uh, other objects. That's unacceptable. Okay, the character that I'll now refer to as Lee's avatar on Earth arrives uh, and knocks the... T- <laughs> And knocks down two of the bastards and scares off the third with one Man, punch. That each. guy can box too. Did you see him like oh, do the little duck British back, boxing. and he pulled up. He was ready to go. Yeah, this guy was ready to go. He knocks the never loving crap, and Beard is now very reasonably afraid that he's about to get another beatdown, possibly a final one here. Only for the guy to very soft spokenly reveal that he's got Beard's wallet and phone, and just been kind of around looking to find him here on the streets of London. Ah, uh, finally a heartwarming moment. We've needed we're, one. We're 30 minutes into the episode, but we got one. They have a little walk together where we see the big guy is not as big as we originally thought. He's actually a little bit shorter than Beard. And they do a lot of things here to, you know, make this guy look a lot less intimidating as the scene goes on. He apologizes for losing his temper. Apparently him and Mary, the lady in red, are having a baby. Ah, and that's, the, that's the point I wanted to raise. She's drinking whiskey in the bar. What's going on here? Yeah. Uh, advice for everybody at home. There is no safe amount of alcohol when you're pregnant, according to modern medical ad- modern, modern medical advice. But it's one that a lot of people don't follow. Oh, well, don't don't step into that shit. Cause I'm, they, not, they, I'm not. They, some of them like to have half a glass of wine. Hard liquor was the thing that surprised me. Yeah. It, it is something the medical examiners have debated forever, but I actually just recently looked this up. And according to the Mayo Clinic and the CDC... They're presently recommending no amount of alcohol is safe, or at least any amount of alcohol increases your risks, which is probably just want to point out. Spencer's the one telling pregnant women what to do, not me. Yeah, stepping in that one, expecting the comments. Perfectly fair. Looking forward to them. Uh, (laughs) Is her pregnancy and their own prior history is messing with him? Is messing with his head to a certain degree, and it led him to assume, particularly since he was a cheater in the past, that guy without pants sitting in her flat, she's they're cheating. I must attack. He's working through that. He had a history of cheating in the past. He's no longer doing such. He's trying to manage his anger and paranoia better. He's clearly in a better place now. Good for him. Uh, they, he's actually one of the people that for, commiserates on the fact that, you know, it was a rough loss for the game. Feel sorry for Beard. Not even and a then, Richmond fan, but mamma mia, that was tough to watch. He had, also is one of many people now that have returned Beard's keys to him. See so repeated motif this whole episode. And then the big man rides off in what is the tiniest little push scooter I've ever seen. <laughs> Two points I want to make about this. One yeah. is he says, you be lucky. Yeah. Have you ever heard that phrase, you be lucky? I've heard that before. Yeah. I actually kind of, kind of like it. I do too, man. I'm taking that one. You be lucky. Yeah. Man. Oh, that's a solid one. Two. How in the hell did this guy find Beard? <laughs> because this is all... It's have, unbelievable. He was on a have bus. Have you ever watched one of these drunken or, you know... Drunken or out, out against the elements nighttime adventure stories. 
they always involve a character showing back up. It's the most common trope in these. Whether it's realistic or not that he can find him, a guy you met earlier will always show up again before the end. It's what these movies that's, run on. That's true. What am I doing trying to talk about what's realistic in this episode? It's not trying to be realistic. We have no idea if any of this is actually happening. The writer thinks it's all actually happening. I have my doubts. Okay. Uh, big man rides off on tiny little push scooter. And Beard, having had his phone returned, checks it. And as the, uh, the tune Alone Again, Naturally, by Gilbert and the Sullivan plays, we see that Jane has texted and called him a total of 124 times since he last looked. Oof. Who has the time to call someone or text them that many times in one evening? I don't think I've called or texted any one person that many times in a, you know, a year period. You've not, you've not sent 120 texts in your life, I don't think. Um, no, getting close, that, getting close. That's unbelievable. Yeah, she, uh... I, you know, I can't help but think this is the type of crazy that keeps bringing Beard back. He, I think he likes it because it shows, because here's what he wanted from her, right? Yes. He wanted her to show that she cared, that she loved him. And this, as crazy as this is, is exactly kind of what he was asking for. Okay. Yeah, very fair call. I don't ever text this much. It's kind of insane that a person would. But as you said, this is seems to be what Beard's kind of looking for. I, yep. He, wa- he wants that level of commitment. He wants that level of just... Maybe even obsession over him to a certain degree. He seems like a guy that's very uncertain of himself, has a certain measure of self-doubt. So having somebody that is just kind of that willing to just dedicate their self to him, maybe it's what he's after. But I actually took the time to write these down. And I think you've written down more than a few yourself. So shall we go into what the hell yeah. she says to him in the spiral she goes on to here? Yep, you go, you fire away. Okay, it starts out importantly, hey, I do love you, you know. Which is what he was looking for the whole time. Now... If you tell another person that you love them, particularly by text, which is not necessarily the best way to start that conversation, you do want some response fairly quickly. It's not something you want hanging. Beard doesn't have his phone, though. So it quickly reduces to, I, lo- I said I love you. I love you, all caps. Oh, now you can't say it back because I took, I took too long. Fuck you, Beard. I did what you asked. I'm literally doing what you asked. Fuck you, Beard. It's spiraling quickly. Okay, so gonna gonna say something here. Please. I love you. I I love you. Followed by the I did what you asked. Taking it away from it a bit. Taking it away from it a bit. Uh, it gets worse. You know, there's a lot of men after me tonight. I turned down three guys already. Make that four. A guy kissed me while I was writing that text. Jeez. Jane's she's done. Jane's done this before. She seems to like to play onto a certain measure of beer jealousy. Maybe similar to the lady in red and uh, big swole you. I'm gonna say this though. I don't doubt that that's true. Jane, pretty good, good looking. looking girl. Good looking pretty girl. Pretty good looking. But also, if you're a woman out at a bar, people are going to hit on you nonstop. It's kind of part of the experience too, anyway. Yeah, I know. That's another thing. Like any woman out here who is listening to this podcast and you don't feel like you're attractive or wanted, go to a bar and raise your hand. Because the, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to speak for all men everywhere. It may not be the there's, attention you want. There's, but. there's thousands and thousands of us that want you. So no yep. woman out there, any woman any woman, period, should ever feel that they're not wanted because I promise you there are thousands of men who want you. That is just that is just a fact. That's just that's just two plus two equals four in gravity, Spencer. Absolutely. Uh, she then goes to break up with Beard saying, you're a real piece of work, Beard. I'm never going to speak to you again. You've got 10 <laughs> seconds to call me. Time's up. Right. We're done. <laughs> going wonderful places here. Uh, I then it's I'm having the best night. I realize how fun life is without you around me. And then it's a picture of the neon crossed. You would have loved this place, 
but you would have ruined it. I don't even love you. It was a joke. I thought you liked jokes. Then it's just kind of more <laughs> drunken stuff. Oh God, my dress fell off. How annoying. Just playing on the jealousy again. Before she has a bit of a moment of reconsideration. Listen, you know that time you said you wanted to meet my mom and I said you couldn't meet her? I wasn't embarrassed about you. I was embarrassed about her. But then dials it back. But you know what? I am embarrassed about you. You're embarrassing. My mom's fucking amazing. <laughs> moment of reconsideration. I think I enjoy from. Jane's crazy at this point. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think I'm thinking it's charming. Uh, moment of reconsideration. I'm willing to consider that you've not gotten these texts because your battery died. And if that's the case, I'm truly sorry. It's hard to discuss my feel if things. Uh, I know you always say I'm really reasonable, but you don't know this about me. Sometimes I can be a bit emotional. What? Okay. Skirt. Park the bus. Uh, so maybe I'm lashing out. Okay. Now she just offered him the possibility his phone's died, but then she goes into, okay, nothing, still nothing for real. This is too far. Okay. I literally couldn't give a fuck about what you're doing, but don't you dare ever speak to me again. Don't come crawling back ever. You're dead to me, literally dead. Like, I hope you're lying face down in a ditch somewhere. And a squirrel is eating you. A fucking squirrel is eating you from the feet up until all that is left is your fucking stupid beard and nothing else. I mean it. And then she goes, Or, you've been hit by a train. Shit. Beard, you haven't been hit by a train, have you? Beard? (laughs) Just so I, just to reply so I can know you're not dead, because I'd feel like shit if you were dead. And that's the that is the spiel that we get as he scrolls up. So uh, there's a life lesson in here. You've never you here's the thing you've never gone too far to stop texting. <laughs> no matter how far you've gone, you can still stop. All right, like and that's what Jane seemed Don't to keep not digging. understand. Didn't matter how far you can, you can always put the shovel away. Uh, but Jane did not. I will say I did not catch all those. I caught maybe about a third, wrote about a third down. So shout out to you. That's that's Spencer's lawyer right there. He 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 combs through text messages every day. Um, it has happened. Yes. Uh, I will say this. Crazy is all hell. A twelve yep. on the crazy scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I kind of like Jane. Okay, I think I do. I think I got a thing for Jane. Okay, I got to say, Ke- move over, Keely. Hold I think the I got thought. A thing for Jane. We're coming back to her by the end of this episode. We're going to unpack this. All right. Quickly sees the just descent into anger and insanity that Jane is going through with no response from Beard after she says that she loves him. Beard freaks the ever-loving hell out, moves to call her, and then, in a remarkably honest bit of marketing from Apple, his iPhone's battery dies. Which, kudos to them, they're admitting about what, what the actual iPhone battery life is. Well, when you keep them for 12 years, like you do, the battery does tend to <laughs> tend to hey, go hey, on you. I have a new phone I just got the other day, like three days ago. Its battery lasts longer. But Wait a second, you got a new phone for real? I, I actually got a new phone for the first time in wow. I don't remember how long. monumental, folks. It was only lasting for an hour of prolonged use. I could not use that phone anymore. Huge, huge. Okay, uh, Beard completely now freaks out. He just starts screaming in the street, losing his mind. The, his bays are echoing up and down London. And he now walks the streets again while over his head, images play once again of the game, of him flipping over the barrier, and notably of what appears to be framed as Ted applauding and kind of mocking him as he walks alone in the streets. Which you know did not occur. Did Which not. you know didn't occur, but all of these delusions are reflecting Beard's self-doubt and self-loathing, it appears. 
Luckily, as Beard is walking alone, shivering, it's a cold night. Uh, the fan trio arrive in their limo, having seeked him out, good friends that they are, and invite him in to clean him up and tell him about all the bonding they've been doing with the stuffed shirts. So much so that even though they made a fortune off them playing pool and even revealed who they were, they're all such buddies now that they've been invited out for the stuffed shirts country estate for Easter. It's nice for people to make friends. So they, these guys asked earlier, have you been to Vegas? I'll tell a quick Vegas story for me. One time I went to Vegas Please. with a group of guys. I did not I did not book the hotel rooms. One was booked for me. So the guy who booked the hotel rooms was up at the bar, up at the counter, trying to get the hotel rooms sorted out. There was confusion around it. I went, played a table, table game, three-card poker, terrible odds. Don't ever play this. I played it. I hit two royal flushes in the period of about 20 minutes. I ended up with about two grand just just before we could even get checked into the hotel. Um, the guys came back. I said, fellas, uh, let me tell you what happened. Good news. Uh, I've won $2,000 here sitting here. This money does not go home with me. So the entire two, we stayed two nights. Mm-hmm. Right on Good the call. nose, right? Perfect. We took a limo everywhere we went. Here's what I like about these guys. Similar to how I did in that story, these guys won that money, and that money was not going home with them. They said, I've won the money out. The money stays out. Yep. We're contributing to the local economy. We are getting a limo. I love that they didn't easy pocket come, the money. Easy they, go. They, easy come, easy go. There you go. I, I, You really need to write all these stories down. You've basically lived Beard's adventures in various moments in your lives. That did occur. That was a, that was a true one. Uh, the, uh, they discussed the idea that, you know, they're so over... They don't even know what they're going to wear to go to the country estate. What does one wear to a country estate for Easter anyway? Something they've never pondered before. I guess a sweater. Probably, yeah. Uh, while they... Um, not, at this point, they're having a blast. They don't want the evening to end. But... It has to be Beard, though. He can go wherever he wants. Beard, at this point, really just wants to go home. He's had a long enough home. night is. Uh, they arrive. Um, they take Beard to the front of his flat. They let him out. Uh, they make the very rookie mistake of not watching the friend, the drunk friend get into the flat and just kind of leaving him sight unseen at the door. Very rookie mistake. Work on that in the future, guys. Um, but still, Beard thanks them sincerely and he gives them a note and an address and tells them to tell Renee that Beard says it's okay. And they ride off into the night making references to old Cornetto jingles from advertisements. Walls Cornetto add just one Cornetto. Yeah, um, <laughs> the coolest thing in the world that Beard did here. Just a, a 100%. They just can't so even awesome. know at this point how awesome so it is. So cool. Yeah, so cool. And notable contrast to Jamie's dad asking for the same thing to Jamie. And him very much rejected him. Jamie's dad had not earned it. These three guys have. Great point. Great point. Uh, adding to the fun of the evening, the previously problematic lock, of course, breaks Beard's key, which was probably from about 1650 anyway. Uh, and then, of course, it starts to pour rain. Again, is any of this actually happening, or is it just reflecting Beard's move mood? I don't know. Or is it Beard just about to fall off that bed? <laughs> Good question. Uh, as Beard runs down the streets, just screaming, I guess trying to run down the limo, maybe, uh, he passes the neon, pur- the purple neon cross from Jane's text earlier, oh. and, and runs into what appears to be a very empty medieval-style church, with the least comfortable-looking pews I've ever seen, and a lot of candles going, despite the fact no one's present. Yeah, have we learned nothing from, the, no, from Notre Dame? Have we learned nothing? Ooh. No unattended oh, candles. Yeah. Good call. Uh, 
Beard sits down, makes a Judy Bloom reference to Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret's little boy. And long-time listener, first-time caller. Have you gotten written it down? Yeah, long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, I gotta love that. Uh, and I know you're probably busy because you got bigger fish to fry. To multi- No, because you got bigger fish to multiply and then fry, as you do. But uh, there's this girl. There's But well, there's this woman, Jane. Last name Payne. P-A-Y-N-E. But you probably know that, but if you wanted to look her up. And I care for her deeply. I could have been with her tonight, but I ended up with you. And I am under no illusions that she can solve what ails me. But when I'm with her, the world just feels more interesting. Boom, and the rain stops. And you can hear the... With the the rain stopping, he can start to hear the club music seemingly coming from somewhere off and below. But before we can explore that... The fan trio are walking down what appears to be a very dank alley to a door marked no entry with just graffiti, not even a sign. They knock and are are greeted by Renee, who has a wonderful door guard voice, like the perfect door guard voice. They pass him the note and the message from Beard, and Renee beckons them to follow him down what is a long stretch of a rat hole style of tunnel. Turn them on! As the lights shine in... Shining bright, they ask if this is heaven, only for Renee to turn around and kindly smile. No, it's Nelson Road. Ah, uh, we are the champions, my friend. Yeah, as they run on the pitch and the queen begins to play, just putting a capstone on what is pro- quite possibly the best night of their lives, they reach fan cloud nine as there is a ball still on the pitch and they just live their ultimate field of dreams moment. I love the juxtaposition. If you are, if you're, if you're still in that life and you want to go out and heavy drink and just see where the night goes, these are your two poles. This is the spectrum. Mm-hmm. You can end up jumping off of a off of a three story building down into some garbage, hoping you don't impale yourself trying to get away from a jealous boyfriend, mm-hmm. pantsless, no phone, no wallet, or you can end up like these guys and have the best night of your life. You never know. This is the this you is can't the two be sure. poles. You're taking the risk. Uh, Beard, meanwhile, is following the noise down. And I really do like, we got to spend a lot of time with this fan trio. It's been great to spend a lot more time with the actors. And they have a, seeing them have a win, unlike anybody else this episode, was great to have. Uh, Beard follows the noise down to a hidden, very sacrilegious club in the basement. Is the church above an actual church? Or is it just the entrance to the club? I think it's an actual church. They do and they just rent out their basement. Europe. They do weird stuff in Europe. Very possible. Uh, goes down. Music's, music's bl- going on. Uh, women are hanging from the rafters. It's very much a party club. Beard strips down, joins the mob, and in a passionate, exuberant, flailing dance style to the song Hello by, Mal- by Martin Solvig and, and the Dragonette, he begins to dance and release all of the tension from the days he f- actually probably hoped to do. Also, I really can't get that song out of my head now. Kudos to that song, Chris. You're not helping. It's a great ah, song. It's what a great a song. song. Perfect club song, I gotta say. Man, um, and I love I love that Beard does the thing that I always do when I go to one of these clubs, right? I always walk in and I go, oh, fuck this thing. Uh, everybody's on Molly and this is going to be strange. I don't like the neon lights. It's too late. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be here. Hold on. Wait a second. That song? It's building. It's building. Yeah. It's building. Oh, the beat drops. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> yeah. When the beat drops, everyone dances. Uh, Beard's cutting a rug, and we see that he is being approached by Jane. 
was looking a little bit demure, maybe a little bit embarrassed to a certain degree, uh, and is holding out a hula hoop. She places it. She places the ring on him, symbolism for a proposal, perhaps, uh, and says, as she said before, it looks good on you. Uh, Beard reveals that he very likely was the state hula hoop champion, along with the state being the state ch- chess champion too. Because man, it, can this man hula hoop! Thank you for that. Uh, the two announcers are there again, uh, having dinner this time, and uh, dinner and a drink. And I have just no actual idea whether they are there or not at this point. I can't really be sure. The fact that they're interacting just with the two of them and not Beard suggests they might actually be. I don't know. I don't think they're there. But it is funny that they go, they have food here. And Jaron goes, well, for me. Like, I love that. Like, I <laughs> the am the star here. Some. Yeah. <laughs> the guy goes for some. Through, uh, uh, Henry just knocks his hand away. It's a great moment. Uh, Beard, after having just mastered, his, revealed to the crowd his masterful hula hoop skills, approaches Jane, and they lock eyes. They kind of search for each other, and there's a lot being conveyed through their eyes as they look at each other. And then they Are we still mad? Are we mad? Do we? Are we in the love each other phase? Where what? are we? And it's interesting, Beard's just looking at her with just utter adoration, and she's looking at him with a certain measure of, like, uncertainty. It seems like she's a little bit un- uncertain about her posi- about either her position or what his position is with respect to her. But when the beat drops, they just dance. They just have Ooh. fun, and it looks like they're honestly and just in this moment truly happy. Which Beard desperately needed after tonight, or in general, or even really the whole season. This is my Jane take. I think, I, 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 I like Jane. I, I've got a bit of a crush on Jane. Jane mm-hmm. called this, if he would have just listened to Jane from 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 Jump Street, he'd have been fine. Because she said, crushing loss. Then she says, unlucky, which I appreciate. She doesn't yeah. say, you you screwed it up. You just It's unlucky. And then she says, I'm at a club. I think it's what you need. If he would have said, pause, let me go do what Jane said, he'd have had a great night. Because his <laughs> night turns on a dime when he gets to that club. That's That yeah. seems to be it the is. most fun that he has. Well, she seems like she has an excellent read on him, maybe even more so than some of the other people around him. Because Beard's right. a very pri- very private person from what we can see, and she, as much as it, legitimately to those around him, and to me too, to a certain degree, she is a bit of a toxic influence too, I think needs to be acknowledged, or at least is a person How with some deep issues. You, sir. Oh, come on, sir. 124 texts and calls, that is a person who's got issues. Charming. No! Charming. No! What? We, I don't we know. Don't I, maybe I'm nuts, but it charmed me. I did. I really was charmed by it. She broke up with him like three times in that text chain. She ah. called him a fucking asshole to be eaten by squirrels. Nah. Charming. No you, no, you don't get to mad that. I, she, they work. At least in this moment, at least in this way, the two of them work. They got other issues they got to work for for the sake of their long-term mental health or even current mental health. But as Beard says... He knows, acknowledges that she does not fix him. But what he looks for in her, what he lo- loves to be around her for, is that she makes things interesting. This is a guy who needs these kind of moments, and he finds them in her. Insane people are often interesting. And she... is. We can assess whether she's on the polar range between just being intense or insane. Characters in the show have debated that before. I think we have evidence going both ways. Uh, the next day. The three coaches are waiting on Beard. They're debating whether to go get coffee. Of course, Boy, wasn't Nate... it strange when it cut to like the actual hard office? cut? Yeah, man, it was like fucking cold we're, water hit us on the episode. We're back in reality once again. We know this place. There's other people there. We have to accept that these events are actually occurring. It was very strange. We get a Tedism. We don't get many Tedisms this episode, but we do get a Tedism. Did you write it down? Beard's like the mailman. He always delivers, and he looks great in shorts. I think we all can agree on that. 
uh, beard looking very much worse to wear after the evening arrives Doesn't with their good. clothes. Doesn't no. look good. This man's got bruises. This man has a swollen eye socket. It's not looking pretty on this guy right now. He looks like he desperately needs a nap. I can't even guess how late he was at with Jay. Uh, this reminds and- me of you, by the way, I want to point out. Like, because you'll have, you, not that you're out, like, being crazy, but you will have nights where you're, like, at 4 o'clock in the morning, like, doing work like a fucking crazy person. No, and, no, no, no. But if we have a 10 a.m. thing, you're there. And you're yeah, like, yeah. Boop, Spencer made it. And then you're like, Spencer, how are you? And you're like, haven't slept. And you're like, what? <laughs> what the heck? You haven't slept. But this is, this in a weird way, kind of, there's a parallel there. There are parallels, yes, and we can do... Okay, now we're making a parallel between Beard's relationship with Jane and my relationship with my work, and I don't want to go into that conversation because their parallels might be extreme. Yes, come sit on my couch, Spencer. Yeah, no. Uh, uh, now, <laughs> Ted, a, you know, good friend that he is, expresses some concern about Beard's new wounds, but Beard just kind of shrugs it off. And Ted, going back into coaching mindset, prompts them that they need to watch the last match because they are professionals, they are coaches, they need to be able to assess where things went wrong. Beard clearly has ideas, he's been going over them in his head the entire evening, but as unpleasant as this is, as much as it was a game that was alternatively dog shit, haunting, or a catastrophe of epic proportions, only way they get better is to experience it once again, but for a game that momentously bad, the only way to reasonably do it is to set it at ten times speed to yakety sax playing in the background. The Penny Hill theme, as uh, Ted puts it. Everyone Yo, knows that theme. On, on Inside the NBA, which is probably the best sports commentator show of all time, this is the one with Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, Ernie, and Shaq. Um, Kenny does this, where when the players, because sometimes in basketball, as good as these guys are, there will be like there will be sequences where the ball just like flies out of somebody's hands. They try they dive for it. It flies further. They miss a layup. They run back down the court, miss a three. And th- whenever there's this sequence, they will play it. And mm-hmm. Kenny Smith does this music. It's so funny that they took from it because every time he does the do 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 like that, he does that thing. It's always hilarious. Uh, they are finally able to laugh at the game, which is the entire point of Ted doing this is that they're actually even got Roy laughing. God, we're laughing first. It was great. Beard shares a bit of a chuckle, too. Kind of just tilts his hat because the man's in desperate need of a nap right now. And he's played the game in his head more than a few times as it is. And reveals as he puts his feet up on the table that he's wearing the pants from the evening. Yes, that's the big reveal. Giving us evidence that maybe this wasn't all a fever dream, that at least some of this occurred. Because I had it when he said, I, 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 yeah, I didn't sleep well. I slept too late. Must have fell off the bed. And then Roy goes, yeah, that's a thing that happens. Um, I had it in my head, like, maybe, just maybe, the show is telling us that that he dreamed all of this. And it's true that he really did just fall out of bed. But the pants dispels the theory. He goes for his nap. The Universal by Blur starts to play, and we are leaving this very unique standalone episode now behind. When he brings the coffee, flat white, coffee black, and peppermint latte, um, Nate, flat white, Roy, coffee black, <laughs> Ted, peppermint latte. Could we have predicted this? Could we have predicted this pretty well? <laughs> pretty much, yeah. It was, yeah. It was a very on brand situation. Uh, does Beard not actually, I don't think Beard actually even drinks his coffee. Yes, I think there's a fourth cup there, but he, like, we don't see what he got. I don't think he wants the caffeine. He's, he's head, heading for well, a nap. Needs a nap right now. But our, our episode and our recap are done, Seth. 
Woo! Nice work, Spencer. Banging out the recap on a very, very strange, all over the place. Not a lot of dialogue, a lot of sequences, though. A lot of action going on. Episode 9. Appreciate the recap. Here Spencer, you. are you ready for the di most difficult segment we've ever done in the history of the Lasso Lowdown? Ah. Uh... Train wreck of the episode. Train this time wreck right? of the episode, sir. We have many, many nominees. I'll let you Just get started. Nominee number one. Beard. Beard is the train wreck of the episode. My God, yes. What a disaster. I mean, he ends at a good moment. At least the moment, as you noted, that he very much, as Jane called, needs. But not only did he have a very difficult, hard, unpleasant evening... He al we also learned a lot about what's actually going on in his head, that this is a man that, oh, he appears constantly stoic and supportive, has a lot of issues, too, that he really actually needs to talk about other people with. Here's the thing. When somebody is drinking and keeps saying, I want the night to keep going, let's, let's keep it going, let's keep it going. What are they running there, from? There is a problem there somewhere. It could yeah. be with alcohol. It could. I don't think that's the case of Beard's case, but it could be. But it's usually usually something is wrong in this person's life that they keep saying, "Let's keep going, let's keep." They're like if you're out and the the last guy who's like, "Let's keep going, let's keep going," something wrong with that guy. So there was something wrong with Beard. I think we got hints through the episode that it's his um, insecurity, yeah. both in himself, where he's at in life, and then in his relationship with Jane. But I thought that was a really bad sign. So uh, definite train wreck of the episode. Also, um, you know, he, he 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 fights in a very interesting way, right? When he got those three guys, because he it was a very weak attempt to avoid the fight, and that's why well, I think the comment commenters came in and were like, "Yeah, I think he really wants to get beat up." And then he had every every chance to end it, and he kept going and he kept going. Yeah, so they, uh, definitely a train wreck type situation. Yeah, it seemed like, you know, Jamie's dad and friends really just kind of wanted to rough him up a little bit and throw him down. They didn't want to kick his ass, or at least not really particularly hurt no. him. But uh -uh. Beard just wanted to be Burger and just kept on pushing the fight as far as he could. They're still think... the assholes, but yeah. All right, question for you about this. All of the shit that Beard went through this episode, will anyone ever find out about any of it that, that don't already know? Meaning, will, will Beard tell a soul a single thing that happened that night? Jane. But there's, I think I don't think she fairly counts into what your question is. No. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if, like, you know, a little hint to Roy mentioned something to Ted. No. I don't, I I don't, don't think, think so either. As close as he is with Ted, I don't think they share that kind of relationship. Uh, which is interesting because I was listening to that in an interview with the, with, you know, the actor and the writer. And he said that his personal house theory is that Ted was the one that saved Beard from these kind of spirals. And saved him from some very dark moments in his life. And that's part of the reason that Beard is so attached to Ted and really follows him even over to the UK. So Ted, as we've seen in the last episode, is very much aware of this. But it seems that as much as Ted has helped him with in the past, Beard still keeps him at arm's length when it comes to this aspect of himself and personality. I love that theory. Uh, because Ted immediately notices he's not in a good place. He's going to go out the evening. He tries to give him some accountability. Hey, man, you got somewhere to be in the morning. Remember that. Remember that. And then yeah. when he sees him the next morning, Ted seems to like intuitively understand, oh, yeah, he did it again. Something yeah. something bad here. So there you go. Uh, train wreck of the episode. I think we can agree on that one. Do we have a, do we, do we have any honorable mentions? Because I think there's other people we could mention if we want to. <laughs> no way. There's not a no. Not, a, not another one at all. <laughs> yeah, there's no one that really compares. I, no. I mean, Jamie... Jamie's Tart, Jamie Tart's dad's attempted murder and the fact he's just roaming the streets looking to beat somebody up gives a, just a further bad side to his character. But we already reached the nader last episode, so how much can we add? 
Yeah. How about the guy who uh, who couldn't couldn't get it done with uh, May, who who couldn't lock it up with May, uh, could kept correcting her. He's still he's still at the bar. They still are apparently social. So, yeah, it was bad for him, but he's still he's still seemingly able, able to fuck. As you said, nobody compares to Beard. Beard wins all of this episode. Winner or of loses the episode. All I should say. Winner, true winner of the episode. Jane, she was charming. She was. I'm not as positive on the relationship as you clearly are, but I see what at least in this moment at this time she's exactly what Beard needed. You know what's and gonna I, happen? Mm. I'm gonna like, I'm gonna say something like negative about like Rebecca in three episodes from now, and someone's gonna write it and be like, "Aren't you the guy saying Jane is so great?" <laughs> Let me let you behind the curtain, folks. I don't think that I don't think she's perfect. <laughs> this is a joke. Yeah, what well, she. I enjoyed her more this episode, and I felt like I understood her more after this episode. And so I can appreciate her more than just being a trope after this episode. Because it was that's part of us getting the opportunity to explore Beard and what these things mean to him and what is going on inside of him. So there clearly are very serious issues and problems in their relationship, but I understand better why they're together and what they get out of each other. And okay. there, she mm-hmm. is a little cute. She's a little cute. Not just physically. I mean, physically, she's very cute. But some of her, some of the, like, the, it's clear she cares. It's clear she cares. And the full text chain, I imagine there was a certain amount of alcohol involved or other things as well. Yeah, sure. But particularly how she acts when she runs into Beard at the club was really cute. Yep. Yep. Gives Gives him the hula hoop. Sports in her top 10. You ready? Yeah. You first. Okay. Um, here's a quote, um, after Beard says, where are we going next? Bed. This is England, mate. Pubs shut down at 1130. Uh, okay, so here you go about this fact. I did not know this, by the way. Uh, in America, um, most close whenever. <laughs> most states, the bars close at 2. Yeah. Most of the time. You have some states like California, New York, where they stay up later uh, in certain areas. Uh, they stay open later in certain areas. And then you have some places like in the south where they, they mandate like a midnight closing. Mm-hmm. This 1130 thing in England kind of surprised me. I was like, there's no way that bars really close at 1130. So here you go. The majority of pubs close at 11 through tradition. This is a traditional thing that used Mm -hmm. to be a law, but now recent statute reforms allow premises to apply for 24 hour licensing. So most pubs have stuck to the 11 to 1130 closing, but some bars uh, and chain pubs will close between maybe 1230 and 1:30 AM, but clubs have applied for this 24-hour licensing, Spencer. Yeah, there sure. are clubs in London that you can go to that I may drag you to at some point one day that yeah. close either at 4 or these are the, boy, these are the, the blue ribbon winners right here. Some, there are actually clubs. I've, I've looked them up. i got a few names of them that will stay up until 8 a.m. Do they 8 a.m.? Is that the kind of club they just give you ecstasy at the door? Because that's obviously why you're there. Yeah. Oof, you got to be on something, right? That ain't oh, just coffee. Uh, anyway, yeah, but there you go. It, it, we clearly see one of those clubs this episode. I don't think that thing closes until the until the church up above reopens. Um, one for me, uh, competitive hula hooping. I, I really want to now know the story about how Beard is so good at hula hooping. I'm suspecting it's one of the... What have we gotten so far? Chess champion, lumberjack champion? Did we get that one previously? Yep. Something, something along those lines? World lumberjack championship, baby. What are we betting here then? High school, high school hula hoop champion, 1974 or something? I got a question for you. Do you think that actor was really hula hooping? Because it didn't look like he was. You sure? It looked like he was to me. 
didn't look like it was to me. I think they had some sort of like string situation. It, 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 it is possible. They at least sell it well. It, what, it, what it looks like to me looked like a pretty good like a pretty good job on his part of moving around, working it up on his hand. But they've 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 assessed that Beard is a collection of skills that we're only going to slowly reveal over the course of this series, and this is an extra one that we now know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, for me, Dier Henry. This is a uh, as I mentioned before, he's a professional footballer, one considered one of the best ever. Um, his career spanned 1994 to 2012. He is most known for his time in Arsenal between 1999 and 2007, where he scored a whopping 174 goals in that mm-hmm. eight-year period. Shout out to Yair Henry. Um, he also made life hell for a lot of national teams. Uh, he played for the France na- French national team uh, for 13 years and uh, scored 51 goals as a member of the French national team. So uh, yes, he does. He managed. He's managed some teams, uh, and he does a little uh, commentary. But he, he certainly is one of the best ever footballers. And uh, again, just a hell of a get. I mean, this is a, mm-hmm. this is a monster get for the show. It looked like he had a lot of fun. It looked like he was really having a blast, just tearing into beard over the course of this episode. So I hope we'll see him again uh, at some point in the future. Agreed. Uh, one going for me. Uh, it's may fit into life lessons too, but. The importance of confidence when you're in some place new. I like how they played that out. I like Beard's summary when it came to that regard. And it really is true that you're going to be judged based on how you are acting by other people. It's not. It, it's it, how you feel yourself doesn't necessarily matter. You're going to be what what you represent to the world is how you're going to be perceived. And if you go into a place and you look like you belong, you'll be immediately accepted as belonging. Because that's just how people's psychology works. And so Beard's speech in that point was direct was directly what they needed to hear and really good advice. Absolutely. Could not co-sign that one more. Listen, whoever you are, I'm not even waiting for Ted's life lessons for this one. Whoever Absolutely. you are, wherever you are, you deserve to be there. There's no place in the world that is too good for you. So mm-hmm. cut that shit out. Get that out of your mind because that is, that is absolutely untrue. Wherever you are, you are worthy of being there. I believe that for every single person on earth. Damn Here's straight. mine. The boat race. They reference at the uh, at the pool table the boat race. I'm assuming this was real. Oh, it's real. It's the Oxford Cambridge boat race, my friend. It is an. I'm gonna. You've never heard of this? I've heard of the boat race. Don't know about 2015 or whatever it was. Oh, I don't know about that, but I, I want to talk about the boat race. It's Please. an annual set of rowing races between Cambridge University and Oxford University, traditionally rowed between open weight eight, uh, eights on the Thames River in London, England. Thames, um, Thames, Thames, whatever. Um, in America, it's Thames. Um, it is. <laughs> it's a there's a a course that they normally use, right? So it's it's a repeatable area that they that generally run this race every year. The only time they haven't run the race were in uh, the First World War and the Second World War. Although they did run unofficial races then, and mm-hmm. then sadly enough, 2020 due to COVID was the only other time they did not uh, race the boat race. It's huge. I can't overstate how big this thing is for these two universities and the associated towns. Um, the, it's the Super Bowl, but amped up even bigger for this this area. Um, you can watch it, and I would absolutely, 100% recommend that you watch it. I think the, the website is boatrace.org is where you can watch it. And it is a fun one, um, but it is absolutely something between Cambridge and Oxford. And I tell you, I, as mentioned on this podcast before, I went to the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. We have a monster, monster rivalry with Duke in basketball, and it is probably one of the most fun things in my life, hating Duke and watching that rivalry. 
Mm-hmm. And this seems even bigger than that. This seems monstrous, this boat race thing. So uh, I'm glad that they gave it a shout out because obviously if you were from Cambridge or Oxford, it's probably one of the first things you'd mention to fellow alums. Mm-hmm. Uh, last one for me, because I feel like I'm at 20 at this point. Um, the value of giving somebody the perfect gift. I, I'm a sucky gift giver. I think everybody knows this about me just in general. But I fully recognize that pretty much every person does have that gift that's just going to be perfect and memorable to them. It's going to stick with them for years. It's all very different and distinct and very much unique for each person. But Beard giving the the fan trio what is going to be the ultimate perfect gift possibly of their lives was a magical moment. Seeing them, you know, Queen, we are the champions playing, seeing them have an absolute blast was really heartwarming to see. It was a great moment for them. And I quite enjoyed watching it. On that one, I love giving gifts. It's a uh, but I've gotten such negative, I've gotten such negative feedback from my friends about giving gifts that I've, it's actually stopped me. Like I've I've been blunted in it. I kind of wish that everyone I knew was like the the type of rich where we just gave each other cars and shit because I love giving <laughs> gifts, but I feel like I have some friends who are in a in a place like where they economically they get weirded out by it. So I have been blunted from giving gifts from my friends. Uh, I've been kind of told not a, to do that, but shame. I will say. I will say I love doing it, and uh, it's a it's a great thing. So here, here's maybe a life lesson before we even get into them. If you have a friend who likes giving gifts, let them let them give you a gift. I don't know. I f- what, I what's full- the harm? I fully endorse your gift giving. It is utterly charming. You have so many times I've arrived at your house, you just already have just a random gift prepared for me that I have kept and treasured ever since. A full third of my T-shirts are ones that you've now perfectly provided for certain situations, television shows, or even quotes by me previously on this podcast. So yeah. Your gift giving is awesome. Don't let anybody talk you down about it. Well, I do appreciate that. And you do have a, a shirt coming that says, I'm, I'm here for, what did you say? I'm here to defend the basic. I don't know what I said. You can play it here back. To defend, but I'm here to represent the basic, something like <laughs> something that. Something like okay, that, let's, yeah. Boom, let's move into our Beard's Life Lessons. Not like we haven't been giving life, life lessons all along, but we will go into a couple formal ones here for this segment. Please. Um, the first one, how do you cope knowing the universe is infinite, but your consciousness can end in a second? But not blatant worrying about it. But guys, please, what's your what's your spin on it? That's a joke. I, that's not a lesson. <laughs> I just threw that one in there to fuck with people. Um, here's one. Um, the the sending of all of the text that Jane does. Yeah, come on. So, um, I think that oftentimes in life we um, we assume the worst in others and the best in ourselves. Sure. We assume our best intentions and we assume others' worst intentions. And what Jane was doing there was doing that. She was assuming that she was doing, she was giving her best intentions. She was trying to give him what she wanted. She was being attentive. She was, you know, wanting to, to make him feel better after a, a bad day at work. And she was assuming the worst in his intentions, which was he was reading it, not responding, being a jerk, et cetera, et cetera. So what I would challenge everybody to do is if you have a situation where you think, Someone is doing something to you uh, that, that, that you don't like, that's, that's causing a negative reaction in you. Ask yourself, am I assuming their worst intentions or am I actually looking at the whole chessboard here of all options? Because if she'd have done that, she could have said well before she got to the text where she does say it. OK, you know, maybe I've sent two or three texts here and Beard's doing something and he'll get to this later. I'm like I w- I would like if modern cell phones had a feature of where if your phone is honestly off or dead, it would actually convey that to another person. Like, they can indicate now whether the person has read it, but it'd be nice if it just included a message saying, this person's iPhone is not on. Something along that line. That'd be lovely in terms of addressing that confusion. 
Apple executives that listen to our podcast, uh, Spencer has a, we know has you an update do. to the iOS system for you. I don't that there might be a security concern there somewhere. I haven't really thought through it, but that would be a nice feature. I completely agree. So yeah, try to try to not assume the other person's worst yeah. intentions while you're insu- assuming your own best intentions. I'll also even add on to that too. Don't assume that people assume the worst about you because they don't. And it's a common trope that I struggle with too, of where I just assume everyone has the worst thoughts when it comes to me or the worst perspective when it comes to me. And an accurate thing is thinking of people think about me as much as I already think they do. So yeah, don't necessarily dwell on what everyone else's impressions are of you either. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Works both ways. Um, but yeah, don't assume the, the worst intentions in others and don't assume that everybody is assuming the worst intentions in you. I think that's a, that's a great way to think about it. I mean, the, the, the core lesson there is just, Think about how how do how would do I treat the world, and maybe maybe assume others are treating the world the same way. Yeah. Um, okay, here's one: saying "I love you" before someone else does, or before someone else is comfortable in a relationship. Woo! Okay, I'm gonna tackle this one, Spencer. This is a tough one. I've done this. I've done this. Oh, you have. Yeah. Would you like to share your experience? No. Okay. Go ahead. Because <laughs> um, I have too. I've done it, and I've 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 run the gamut. I've done it. The person didn't say it. I flew hot, got mad, broke up with them, got back with them, broke up with them, did the whole thing. I've done it where I said it, the person didn't say it back, and I was just butthurt about it, but I didn't say much about it. And then I did it the right way, mm-hmm. I think. This is my personal opinion. I did it the right way, which was I said it, I looked at the person, I saw the panic in their eyes, and I said, I just want you to know this. It, you can say it or you cannot say it back to me. I don't want our relationship to change. I just felt like I had to say it because I want to be honest with you in all things. And can we get back to just our good day? And it, I would tell you, it, I'm not saying that I, worked for everybody, but it did work for me. It worked very well, and our relationship continued unabated. My current relationship, that, play, that scenario kind of played out, and I just lucked into saying something similar because she was not ready to say it back to me, and I understood that very quickly. She even told me, you don't have to say that yet. And I... I didn't fly off the handle. I didn't assume anything about it. I just let things flow, and God, were we healthier for it. Yeah, just say, I, I felt like I had to tell you because I want to be honest with you in all things, and this is how I'm feeling, but I don't want you to ever feel like you have to say it or any pressure. I just want to continue enjoying my time with you. That's a great yeah. way to couch it. It's a great way to do it. It's healthy. Um, but it is a tough situation. Boy. Woo! Everybody yeah, deals it, with that one at some point. And most, it, a lot of men, a lot of men deal with that because we get hot and heavy really quick early in a relationship. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the things we have to understand just how much it places the other person on the spot. Because if you're going first and they really aren't at that level yet, it really is just, you know, it's very much the you just propose to somebody in the stadium kind of moment. Is it? Oh, yeah, don't ever do that. Oh, my God. If you want to talk about the worst thing you can ever do to another person, that kind of public in front of people proposal and like a massive venue where everyone's staring is the most douche thing you can ever do, I think. So you're not you're not married. You you are just you're just dating someone. How yep. great would it be if I took you both to a ball game and then I I got them to put on the screen X name. I'm not going to put her name on the podcast. X name will you marry me dash Spencer. <laughs> You've flirted with me murdering you before. Do you want to just bring it about? Do you might be the worst thing you could do. It might be the worst thing you can do to someone. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it would. Thank you for going into that line of thought that I never was afraid of before. Now I know it's there. Okay, all right. Well, we've gone long form. We've gone loosey-goosey, and that is exactly what this episode was. It was long form, and it was loose, and we have represented that here on the podcast. Spencer, I've had a good time talking with you about it. Anything else you want to say about this very bizarre sort of isolated episode, season two, episode nine? Well, let's just briefly discuss what we predict then for the next episode. The next episode's entitled uh, No Weddings in a Funeral or something like that, I believe. Woo! Who's dying? Uh, Rupert, if I had to guess. I think Rupert's a reasonable guess. I, thinking from some of the production stills, Rebecca's mom, Rebecca's dad. That's who I... Rebecca's dad? Have we seen him? Uh, we've not, but Rebecca's mom in production stills shows up in the next episode. Okay, yeah. So it might be Rebecca's dad. That would be good. Um, and no weddings might be uh, some sort of representation toward the fact that maybe uh, she she bails on this thing with Sam. Maybe <laughs> you have your hopes, sir. I see these. I see these playing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I I'll tell you this. I'm excited to get back to the plot. That is yeah. what I'm excited for. I'm excited to get back to a regular episode of Ted Lasso. This was fun. It was a nice one-off. But I, 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 in my perfect world, we would we would do the whole plot, and then we would tack these on at the end. Downton Abbey did this. Downton Abbey had whole seasons, and then they would have what they called the Christmas episode, which was more of an isolated episode where they would deal with some sort of like one-off drama, and it was tacked on the end. So you didn't have these sort of like blips in the plot that this is yeah. introducing. And I honestly think, for flow purposes, they would have been better off doing that. If these were just, you know, bonus episodes they did after the season, and they just, you know, saying, in between these two episodes, this happened, as just a little t- title card, I, I, I think these would have had a less of a kind of flow-breaking kind of moment for the rest of the season, and they're, they're, and they're kind of presently serving. Yeah, I agree, because that's the trouble I'm having with this episode, is that, taken in isolation, it is... Uh, absolutely you can't argue with the fact that it's entertaining it certainly is entertaining yeah. but the problem with for me is that i i'm really invested in the plot and the show and they, they paused it on me in a way that I, I felt like was unnecessary i think this one has a hope of linking better into the season than the christmas episode ever did christmas episode is always just going to be just out there with barely even a tie back to what was actually happening the rest of the season this one, there's at least ways they could go about it, particularly since uh, Beard and Jane's relationship has come up several times previously. I agree. This was maybe a little bit less in a vacuum, but still probably like 90, 95% in a vacuum. Yeah. Nonetheless, a fun episode, well-produced, as everything the show does. Shout out to the people who make the show, and shout out to you, Spencer, for banging through the recap, being here with us every week. I really enjoy doing the pod with you. Do you have any final thoughts before I wrap this sucker up? An honorable mention for Sports Center Top 10, maybe the best soundtrack of the season so far when it came to the came, came to the songs they threw our way. I think it deserves another mention. Completely agree. And that hello, that that club banger that I Great that I played right here. Woo, that one that one's a lot of fun. I'm going to throw that one on when I'm having a bad next time I'm having a bad day cuz that <laughs> yeah. that really uh that really will turn my mood, I'll tell you when that beat drops. Okay, a lot of fun here. Really enjoyed doing the pod. Thanks everybody for listening. We appreciate your reviews. We love hearing your feedback. So please let us know what you're thinking. Go to magnumtalks.com to do that or on your favorite podcast platform, rate and review us. I promise I will read every one. I will curate them. I will send them to Spencer so that he thinks we only get positive comments and everybody in the world loves us. Thanks again for listening. Oh, and if you have time, if you want to listen to more of us yammering, you can go to your favorite podcast platform, type in Mangum Talks. And I want to give a plug to a podcast that I've referenced multiple times on this show by giving Spencer real, real, fake, real fake spoilers. He'll never know. That's pottering around. It's a chapter by chapter reread that Spencer does 
with a lot of really cool people. One is my wife, and it's a, a very good podcast. I think now they're on the Goblet of Fire. They're, they're marching their way through the Goblet of Fire. A lot of really intense, interesting things happening there, like when Hermione comes out as a lesbian, for instance. Really, Just, really good stuff. No, stop. Okay. Awesome. No. So, But seriously, very good podcast. I love what they do there. So check it out. If you enjoy this podcast, I promise you'll enjoy that one. Thanks again for listening, everybody. We will be back with you next week for not the season finale. It's uh, it's not because we have 12 episodes. This mm-hmm. is just season two, episode 10 that we got coming on that next week. We'll see you then. <laughs>